We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Following the following is a journey into comics. Journey into comics. A journey into comics. A journey into comics. Journey into comics. Journey into comics. Network. 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 Production. Production. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Journey into Comics, the podcast dedicated to all things nerd, with your host, the Podfather himself, Nate Phillips. Showtime, a-holes! What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey into Comics. It's JIC233. I am your host, Nate. And today joining me, we have a very special guest from the Podcastrophy Podcast. You guys catch them every Thursday right here on the Journey into Comics Network as well as on their own feed at podcastrophypod.podbean.com. Welcome to the show. Tyler, how you doing, dude? I'm back. I'm fucking so glad to have you back, dude. This is exciting. <laughs> Long ass time coming. You and I go through these phases where it's like we really we really need to record a JIC or just something. We must interact and then it goes it, too long. Right, and then we talk about it for 2 to 3 months and it's like, man, we have all these great ideas that we need to our brains are both overflowing with information. And then it all comes to a head, and here we are yet again. Absolutely. And uh, it's funny because the last time we had you on, God, I can't even remember. I feel like it's been like at least 15 episodes, maybe. It's been a while. Yeah, I was going to say the, fir- the, the, the last episode that I did before that was obviously 200. That was a badass so I, day. Yes, it was. So I want to say maybe... Somewhere from 206 to like 220, somewhere in that range. Sure, I'm going to actually try to see if I can find it because, you know, I nerd down like that. Right. I have to remember. It's weird when you've done, like, I, I look at the archives of Journey into Comics and I'm like, holy shit, that's a lot. Like, it is a lot. I didn't, I guess I didn't realize. Well, I've been, I've been kind of hyping up, like, the whole network with people I work with and like friends that I haven't been connected with for a long time. And I, I've been getting a lot of people interested in the show. Like I have a guy that I work with now that like religiously follows podcastrophy. Hell yeah. Like to the point where he's like, how many, how many listening services do you need me to download and follow your podcasts? And I was all like, of them. I was like, dude, I mean, all of them just, just do it. Like but literally download every podcast service and then delete just, them. And then just, just rotate. Go, right. Just going through like the first the first couple times that I showed him, like not just our network feed, but our solo feed. I'm like, I'm scrolling through our archive. And it's like, he's like, okay, if I'm going to listen to your show for the first time, give me three shows to listen to. And I'm like, okay, well, now I got to remember what episodes were what. Uh <laughs> Uh, so scroll as fast as I can and then look for the titles because I can't remember the episode numbers, but it's like, I feel like we have an enormous 
backlog of material and you know we're just a quarter of what you have so we'll get there it's weird uh looking at your guys's growth i was thinking about this this morning as i was waking up because i always like roll out of bed grab my phone check the stats see if we had any crazy downloads while i was sleeping shit like that right and uh i was just like man i like you guys and and Bruise with Dudes are on a crash course to be the f- second and third shows the network has launched that has seated 100 episodes. Mm-hmm. I can't even believe that, dude. Like, I didn't think when I started this podcast way, way, way back that I would get to 100 episodes. So to have, like, three tendrils besides JIC do it has just been uh, has been absolutely stellar. You know, it's like... You uh, you think about the hard work that uh, you guys do on Podcastrophy, the hard work that Nick and, and those guys do on Brews and the fun they have. Like, Well, especially with them, they have such a, a big rotating cast oh, to, yes. be able, to be able to put forth quality content week to week with that large of a rotating cast that's not always guaranteed to be that big. Yeah, sometimes they have five people on an episode and it's madness, and other times it's just a two-man little tandem thing, but it still gets the job done, and it's right. just to have... I don't know. I guess it's it's cool to like look at you guys and be like, you guys are on the way to this. We're in March now, so you're going to be in your 80th episodes and moving out of 80s mm-hmm. closer to 90s and whatnot. And I was just like, man, I remember when Podcastrophy was a fucking joke between Nick and fucking Dick. I mean, other Nick, Nick Torres. So Right. Uh, but we're not here to reminisce today, Tyler. I, I found it, by the way. Last time you were on JIC was 209, mm-hmm. Journey Into Not Painting. Or Not Journey Into Painting. Yes. As it were, because we're talking about Bob Ross. We talked about Bob Ross a lot in that episode. Hell yeah, we did. That's the way of life, Bob Ross. But... Man, uh, so I don't know where you want to start. You had some news. I have some news. We've got some different topics to talk about. I uh, I just fucking watched the Masked Singer finale. Did you watch that show at all? I have not had an opportunity to watch that show. Um, I have a hard I have a hard time watching reality TV and like singing competitions. But I've had a lot of people like you hype that show up. And what little I have seen has made me want to go back and watch it. So when Skylar and I get caught up on Game of Thrones all the way, then her and I will sit down and binge watch the the season, you know. I've, it's taken me eight years to get her to watch Game of Thrones. So you're so, getting through it, goddammit. So, yeah, so now, now that we're, you know, eight years in and we're as far as we are, you know, Blaine's like, you'll never get caught up by the time the new season drops. And I was like, Blaine... When we sit down to watch Game of Thrones, we watch 10 to 15 episodes at a time. Like, when we're doing it, we're doing it. You're getting so it in. Like, I'm going to go will, through a season. We will be caught up when when the, the final season drops. So, But yeah, we're, we're definitely going to give uh, the masked singer, masked singer a choice because I was never an American Idol guy, but yeah, I really I, I really like the voice. Also same. Um. So, I like the I mean, voice for like the first like six episodes when they're doing the blind auditions. As soon as mm-hmm. it becomes like a competition, I literally quit watching. I've never seen past the blind auditions. Well, seeing <coughs> seeing some of the judges like go out of their way to save the people that they've put on their team or 
the or not, not judges, the coaches working together to save other people from other people's team. I mean, that's kind of what I've enjoyed about that show. So yeah, I'll definitely give the the Mass Singer a chance. I think that show. The one thing to hype the Mass Singer is it has an, a, a nice quality where. While it is definitely a singing show, which is something you said you don't really like, uh, for the most part, these are really talented folks. And secondly, the identities are fully concealed throughout. Like, no one knows but the few people who created the show who were behind the masks. Mm -hmm. So, like, off camera and everything, they're still completely... And all their managers, all the people that they work with, their family members, all have to wear masks on set. Oh, really? And they can't talk to each other either. Well, one of the things that I was curious about, so hearing them talk, you can't tell who they are? Uh, when they're actually talking through a microphone, which is the only time they will be talking, they do a voice pitch and have a shift corrector that ah. just makes it so bizarre. You're like, what the fuck alien am I listening to? So they do a little bit of voice modulation so you Ooh. can't tell who it is. Yeah, they do the modulation with the modulation. Mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Yeah. It was good, man. I really dug it. Uh, between that, I've been watching Doom Patrol. I'm like an episode behind on that. That show's been fucking... That's that's a show that's right up your alley because it's like the, you know, throwaway, doesn't matter team from, mm-hmm. you know, uh, DC, but they are... I don't know. The story they're telling is just so good, I guess. Well, is, I remember, the, I remember the last time that I was on the show, we talked about Doom Patrol a lot, and I was really hyped up for it. Um, I'm going to let it get through its first season before I go back and watch it because I'm at, I'm at this point in my life where I don't like to wait for podcasts or TV shows, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a full 180 degrees from where I've been the last couple years where I want to wait until the very end. So I have, or I don't want to wait. I want to watch every episode or listen to every show as soon as it drops. So you can kind of stay like, on the pulse. Mm-hmm. So, but now, so I went through, in the last couple months, I've went through three different backlogs of podcasts that I've wanted to listen to for years that's like hundreds of hours of content. And I've, you know, I've done, with one show called The Adventure Zone, I listened to three and a half years of podcasts in about a month and a half. Squeezing it in. Yeah, I mean, just, just one episode after another, just eight to ten hours a day just listening to it. Because you were doing so, it while you were on the job, obviously, mm-hmm. so you were just zenning out. So now that uh, now that I'm caught up, or when I caught up on that show, I went immediately to another one, and then another one, and then another one. I mean, I'm like DJ Khaled while I'm at work. Just just give me another one. And then I ran out of stuff. Then I ran out of stuff to listen to. I mean, obviously, besides our shows. Ha, you played yourself. Right, I I ran out of sh- I ran out of shit to listen to, so um, I actually subscribed to Audible, and now I'm listening to audiobooks and shit, just in the interim while I'm waiting for those shows that aren't done yet to drop their next episode. So it's crazy. It's weird. You're gonna have to listen to this episode that you're a part of at some point in the. Is that get weird for you ever? Do you do that? Like, do you listen to your own music? Well, so for for podcastrophe. Um, if I'm really, like, really worried about how a show went, and that and that happens every now and then, because, you know, I'll, like, when I leave Blaine's house after we're done recording, I always call my wife and I say, how was the podcast? You know, and she gives the, 
the general, it was good, or I didn't know what you guys were talking about. Um, but I, to me, I know how, in my mind, I felt that show went. Absolutely. And and her reaction and like how I'm talking about it on the phone will like anxiety stress me out to the point where I have to listen to it as soon as Blaine uploads it to the Dropbox. So a lot of times I'll download it off the Dropbox and then listen to it. Just the like raw that. file. You're like, we're getting yep. into it right now. Yeah, I, I mean, because I mean, there's been a few times where it's not like I've stuck my foot in my mouth or anything, but it's like, man, that was kind of a struggle to get through an episode. And, and Blaine and I have talked it, talked about it. And I know, I know you at some point in you know, over 200 episodes have had an episode where it's like, man, I cannot wait for this to be over today. You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it ha- one of these episodes happened more recently for me. I can't remember which exact... I think it was Big Superheroes. It was like JIC 230. I did that whole fucking podcast with one of the worst migraines ever, but for mm. the sake of the show, Soldier On. And I right. faked it, and I like listened to it once, and I was like, I hate that podcast. I will never listen to it again. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely 100% feel you, but sometimes and just dep- it's sometimes it's that situation like how you're actually physically feeling when you're in the room and oh absolutely you never know what could happen with that. Other times it's the weird intangibles. It's like uh, you're on a track and then you think you have a good topic to bring up next, but you've gotten so far off track that the track right. the track has disappeared. Now you're in the desert and there's just one fucking cactus and you drove a hundred miles and it's the same goddamn cactus still right where mm-hmm. you just left off and you're not sure how you're going to get through the rest of the show because you don't feel yep. like you can get out of the the it's it's a, a like a quick quicksand topics they pull mm-hmm. you in and you can't escape them so i feel like you like just spin your tire for an hour and a half mm-hmm. like i'm doing right now just saying the same thing over and over well i mean there, there's a lot of truth to that though you know we we had a, uh, a show a couple weeks ago where we had Alex Taylor on. So fucking good. And and all I mean, all three of us felt awful. You know, we didn't have any energy. I mean, Alex was excited to be there, and, and, and you know, Blaine and I are always excited to record. But you know, we're either really feeling it or or we're not. You know, no middle and, ground. I understand that. No, yeah, and and once once the three of us started having the conversation that eventually became that podcast, I mean, it was like it was like all of us just, you know, um, hive mind uh, style. I mean, yeah, I mean, we f- we found a power up mushroom and we all grew ten sizes and all of a, all of a sudden had energy because I mean, I went from very blasé to an extremely good mood very quickly, and and it it made a really good episode. So. I, th- I think that's the power of a great conversation. I also like mm-hmm. how you just you, you dropped the power up mushroom in there when part of your guys' conversation with Alex was about mushrooms, if I recall, mm-hmm. right? Yep, so yep, was, yep. We were talking about psilocybin mushrooms for for a good while. That's a um, that's a conversation I don't think I've had on this podcast officially, but it's one that I'm honestly going to tell my listeners right now that I'm I've been thinking about long and hard trying the psilocybin mushroom thing. Mm-hmm. Because allegedly it actually can fix your brain if, if you have chronic migraines. Like it can actually rewrite migraines out of your DNA. Yeah, so that that's one of the things that we talked about on that show. There's a there's a very, very uh, prominent scientist or a prominent 
member of the scientific community. His name his name is Paul Stamets. He was um, on uh, Rogan. Yes, uh, he very very educational Rogan episode. But to not go not to not re-explain that whole Rogan episode. Um, basically, psilocybin has the power to, like an old switchboard operator from the fifties, pull something that is harming your body out out of your brain and move it somewhere else or completely delete it. So if you have PTSD, well, let me just unplug this and I'll plug this in over here and you don't have PTSD anymore. Or if so, you struggle from depression in general, mm-hmm. same, yep. same ball game, chronic migraines is on there as well. I mean, it's funny to think too that way back, and I, I feel like this was in the Paul Stamets conversation, or it might have been in your guys' conversation. I listen to a lot of podcasts involving mushrooms, like legitimately. So you know, uh, but way back, way back in the olden times, uh, tribes would always follow the herd. You mm-hmm. know, so they were always eating the the mushrooms off the cow shit and whatnot. And then yeah, it that's was out just, of Stamets. And it was uh, essentially the best way to say it is they were micro dosing, so it was a part of life. It wasn't like they were tripping balls every fucking right. day and living this wild lifestyle. It literally was just opening up their mind to like third eye, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, weren't they weren't trying to see Shaggy and Scooby Doo. They were just not only trying to find sustenance, you know, to continue existing, but um, you know, he, in in that episode, he he talks about. He's not a supporter of the stoned ape theory, but there are things about that theory that he supports. So if I watch you get mauled by a saber-toothed tiger, and I eat mushrooms, and then I'm not afraid of being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger anymore, we are intelligent enough, even primitive man, or primitive homo sapien, that we're going to key in on that, and we're going to keep eating those mushrooms. Yep. So... um. You know, he, he debunks the stoned ape theory while still supporting it at the same time. It, it, it's it's a really eye-opening episode, and and people can say whatever they want about Joe Rogan and, hey, man, have you tried this DMT? Or, I, you know, that's really cool, but have you tried DMT? Um, I listen to Rogan for the guests that he has, not really, to list, not really even to listen to him talk, you know? And, he is and, definitely a side product. He becomes what I call like the listener's voice. Because mm-hmm, a lot of times he's asking the questions, and this is, you know this, this is how I base voice survival off of. I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm thinking about the information, and as a listener, I'm actively asking you questions that further the conversation. I feel like Joe Rogan right. does a fantastic job of doing that. Yep, and and you know, he he has the the fantastic stage presence with the oohs and the ahs and you know he always he always puts himself down like you know I'm a smooth brain or I'm just a damn monkey you know he he's a very entertaining person to listen to um but that Paul Stamets episode there's not there ha- up until I listened to that there hasn't been very many instances in my life where I've heard of I've heard people openly support psilocybin mushrooms okay. and then not just support them because, you know, I like to party and trip, but actually educate me on what they can do um, to further our species and how important uh, fungi are, like, to every living thing on this planet. So, it, it 
you know, no pun intended with the whole third eye thing, but it it was definitely an eye-opening experience for me because I'd never heard anything like that before. I like how you did that, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. I don't know if you have Hulu. There's a show on Hulu I watch. I've probably talked about it like maybe two or three times on here called Pharmacopia, and it's Uh, with this... It's in my watch list. I just haven't watched it yet. Okay, so there's the guy Hamilton, and, and he's this like nerdy Jewish dude, and he goes to South Africa, and he is literally in the this fucking back alley while this dude is making backwater mandrakes, which is this crazy mm-hmm. like high quality drug that they peddle in South Africa, and he's like with some like legit black market motherfuckers just filming talking about it learning about the trade like super interested another episode he's in like the literally there's a place that he takes you to in one of those episodes where it's an island of mushrooms that look like the mushrooms from fucking mario wow everything looks like the big mario like like toads like toads head is fucking everywhere it's crazy but that show is really Another one of those eye-openers, Hamilton was on Rogan as well. That was their whole mm-hmm. episode as well, was a conversation about uh, uh, various drugs and, and the uses and whatnot. Uh, I feel like it's interesting to note that in this time where we have an opioid crisis in America, and that's something we can't like ignore or just be like, hey, we're comics, we can't talk about this shit. Like, Really, there's an opioid crisis. People are taking prescription painkillers at an alarming rate. People are dying at an alarming rate. I mean, it spiked like from... To like thirteen percent, like seven years ago, to like forty-eight or fifty percent of deaths mm-hmm. last year were o- opioid-related. So um, it's interesting to note that the things that come from the earth, a thing that comes from cow shit and a plant, are are like in the heated battle of should they be legal? And I'm like, are they created on this planet? You have your answer. Like I think the things that are being, and you know this, like the big pharma things. Uh, they just need to be caca. Like, well, I mean, the the only issue with that, and, and you know, I totally agree with everything you're saying. The only issue is, I mean, if you're big pharma and you hear that argument, your response is, well, where does opioids come from? They come from a little gold plant called the poppy. Oh, I know so, the poppy seed. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, so I mean, if you talk to, you know. If you talk to Big Pharma, they're going to make the argument, well, you know, we're helping people, you're just trying to burn people out, and we're natural too, we just have a little bit more involvement. And, you know, our political climate aside, um, you know, Alex and I talked about this pretty heavy on our episode, the FDA has approved psilocybin mushroom treatments as trials, uh, like in mass, like not just small segmented things, they're doing it a lot. Um, so that that gives me a lot of hope that you know, in the next couple of years there won't be so much stigma. And as a person that suffers from, uh, you know, intermittently anymore, but anxiety and depression, I look forward to the day that I can actively heal myself and not kill myself at the same time. I absolutely, you know, in, in in reference to the opioid crisis, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I think uh, I want to say Oregon and Washington maybe are the first two states that this year on the ballot is the recreational um, allowance to to do or not recreational medicinal. Sorry, um, they're gonna try to pass medicinal psilocybin. Awesome, because they've already been doing the studies you're speaking of in mass. Mm-hmm. 
I think have been happening up in that area. So they've they've got proof in the pudding that it works. That people who were born with depression or people who were born um, maybe with slight bipolar, not full blown bipolar, because I think that can maybe go a little bit deeper than just you know, the psilocybin thing. Uh, but they've been treating and, and helping people out quite a bit, you know, whether it's taking them through micro dosing and getting them like to where they just every day are taking a little bit to just change their um, biochemistry or mm-hmm. doing like some people do and taking the massive uh, peace outside trip. You know what I'm saying? Right. Go meet Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me while I go meet the sass kitch. <laughs> Let me get to that sass. I'm gonna make that I baby pro- sass. I, I promised I, I promised him I'd bring a four by four animal style. I'll be back in a couple hours. <laughs> it's an in and out reference for our West Coast fans. People on the people in the middle of the country just went a four by what? Did you just say you're gonna bring him some wood? <laughs> are you, are you talking about my double wide? And I'm just like animal style. Just say Big Mac sauce, dude. Just say Big Mac sauce. Let's keep yeah, it real. But you gotta, you gotta say animal style, man. I know, I know. It's it's a cultural thing. I would love for In and Out Burger to be here. Yeah. Damn it. I want In and Out. I want Shake Shack. I want Whataburger and Popeyes and Jack in the Box. I'm gonna pop your just, bubble just a tiny bit, just a little. Just bit. all that good shit. Not a ton, just a little bit. Shake Shack, I've had it. There's a Shake Shack in Chicago. It's not that good. It's better than McDonald's. It, okay, God damn it, you got me there. It's way better than the D. Yeah, it's better than Steak and Shake. I, I, I think it is anyway. By the way, do you know what the fuck is up with Steak and Shake? Why the they, fuck is it? If it's after 10 o'clock at night, do you know it takes like two hours to get through a Steak and Shake drive through after 10 o'clock at night? Oh and, Well... At like one thirty in the afternoon, it takes two hours to get in and out of the restaurant. So I think it's just all the time anymore. <laughs> it's weird. So, you know, like obviously Walk Among Us, we tra- travel around and whatnot. We were doing a show, and one night we tried to go get uh, Steak and Shake after a show. The first place, they're like, we went, this is, I swear to God, this truly happened. We went up to the window, and they said, Hi, thank you for choosing Steak and Shake. Uh, we're going to have to wait 10 minutes before we can take your order. Thank you. And then they just left. They told I me. Dro- I would have drove away. I was well. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be patient. I really want this fucking Frisco melt. Like, that's my life, you know? And mm-hmm. the girls were like, yeah, let's just be patient. 10 minutes turned into 20. 20 turned into 45 minutes. We hadn't got our order, and I fucking lost it. Yeah. I snapped. So we you went to another their game, one. man. Oh, man, I, I don't understand it. It's like, how do you not know how to multitask in a business that has a drive through They probably had two people working. Yeah, you're right. It's late. What am I, I mean, they're not going to be fully staffed like a dinner service, and but they need to be fucking late-night people working and shit, man. Right. I, mean, I lived that third's life. I know what it's like to be out late and be like, what am I going to eat, McDonald's or fucking White Castle? Great. That's a lovely fucking choice. Well, and, you know, spontaneity says sometimes you just got to have some steak and shake. Yeah. I need that I need that Frisco melt with bacon. I mean, that's oh. what I need. Man, when I was a younger, a 16-year-old and, and and shit, I would go to Steak and Shake and order that Frisco with two extra patties. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> just give me all that cholesterol. I need it. 32-year-old me just went, "My heart. Oh. <laughs> oh, fuck. My arteries." 
Like, no wonder I got a bad ticker. It's all that fucking... I abused my shit when I was a kid because I love food. Like, I, I'm not going to pretend like it's, like, my favorite thing to do is eat. Like, like that's not just the munchies. That's, like, a, that's just who I am as a person. Right. So, like, when I worked at McDonald's when I was 14, uh, and we're, we'll talk about this later when we have another topic, but this is just a brief on this one thing about cholesterol. Every single day I was eating a triple cheeseburger, only cheese, extra cheese from McDonald's on my break every fucking day. So hopefully I don't stroke out at like 40. I'm just saying. I don't think you will. I think I think you've got enough medicinal herb in your bloodstream to, to carry you on. I am weed. That's what it would say <laughs> if I took a drug <laughs> Shit, man. I just look down and it's like, you are weed. Oh, fuck. What? How did that? How do they know? Oh, I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. Don't break a piece of me off, man. Keep it going. <laughs> Don't, All right, don't grind me up. Okay, so back to it. Do you want to talk about some comic bullshit now? Do we want to actually try to get into this fucking podcast? Yeah, I think I think the good one the good one to start out with um you know over the last month month and a half and pretty much every time you and I have had a really in-depth conversation um about things that really grind our gears we've been talking about James Gunn breaks and, my soul and I got the and and, and and you know I'm you and I are 100 for 100 on Disney needs to rehire James Gunn. We need to move forward and just let the guy make the movie that he wants to make or let his brother do it. You know, let's 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 meet in the middle ground. Um, you know, kind of let him be his brother's keeper and you know, it was a win when they decided to use his to keep his script. So I can't complain about that. But um well, you know, I mean, there no- no one knows how to speak through the Guardians better. Right. There is enough... Um, there are enough people, whether it's actors or directors, saying, this is wrong. We're a family, and, you know, let's make this right. So I think the middle ground would definitely be letting his brother do it. But I'm really happy to see, I was really happy to get the news that James Gunn was going to do Suicide Squad because I think I'm one of like eight people that enjoyed that movie. Um, I enjoyed parts of it. I I didn't hate the movie full blown, but it's not my favorite movie. I think think it's comparable with the rest of DC's movies. I mean, let's just be honest. Well said. Absolutely. Um, Where do you love the Aquaman? I mean, it definitely it definitely had more comedy than you know, like Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman that were both extremely dry. In I'm my pretty opinion. sure a cardboard box could have more comedy than those two movies, yeah. though. But I so the reason the reason this is kind of grinding my gears. One of the reasons I liked Suicide Squad so much was Will Smith's Deadshot killed and, it. Absolutely and I, killed it. And I got the notification uh, a couple days ago. Um, I've got the article from Variety here that said, Will Smith exits Suicide Squad sequel. Even with the studio dating the next installment in the Suicide Squad franchise, Warner Brothers may already be losing one of the film's biggest stars. Not one of, let's just go ahead and say the film's biggest star, because he was the biggest 
contract on that project, I believe. Um, he, he definitely with made Margo, the movie as with well. Margot Robbie at a second for sure. Absolutely. This says uh, this is from Variety. Even though his return had not been made official, sources tell Variety that Will Smith, who played Deadshot in the original, is not expected to return for the studio's upcoming sequel. Sources say scheduling was the ultimate factor and that the decision was made on amicable terms between both sides with no hard feelings. Um, though the studio has never confirmed who would be returning for the Suicide Squad 2, um, insiders say the studio has always wanted its biggest stars like Smith and Margot Robbie to return while figuring out other casting decisions along the way. The studio and reps for Will Smith could not be reached for comment. So... As aggravating as this is for me, I understand the whole scheduling conflict. That's just a part of the business. You can't make nine movies at the same time, especially when you're terrible CGI as a giant blue genie for Aladdin. Um, Sick burn. <clears throat> right now, they're talking about Suicide, Squ Suicide Squad 2 starting filming this fall and being released in 2021. Um you know, I really want James Gunn to succeed on this project, but I'm almost expecting it to be canceled, just like all the other DC stuff that's been canceled the last three and a half months. Rumor I mean, I'm, is Flash is on the on the docket next to get the chop. They're rewriting I, the whole entire script. It's supposed to come out this year, by the way. I don't. I just. I don't. I understand what DC kind of DC's mo or track record has been with the comics. They go down a path that they're not entirely happy with, so they reboot. They do that over and over again and just keep hitting that reboot button, and they keep suffering, and they keep suffering. And then when it comes time for them to... I don't want to say try and take any of Marvel and Disney's market away from modern cinema, but to kind of share in some of the limelight. They're, they do the same exact thing that they've been doing with the comics, and I don't understand it. They need to improve the writing. They need to get the right people cast for the right roles, which I think, barring a few people, they pretty much have nailed the people that they need for the roles that they have. They've just been too ambitious and, and too quick to say, well, that was a waste of time. Let's start this over again. So... Not being a DC fanboy, but still wanting them to succeed is very frustrating for me. Because they have the talent. They have the ability to do it. They have the capital to do it with Warner Brothers standing behind them. I just don't understand why they won't ride the wave a little bit. Just let it happen. Well, and I'm going to ask you a question here because this might change your opinion on the Suicide Squad at least. With Will Smith leaving, there was actually one thing to report. Justin Kroll, who is the Variety writer that broke that story, added on Twitter, one item I forgot to add to the story is sources are saying executives are now deciding whether they will recast the role or replace Deadshot with a different character from the DC to join the team in the sequel. So my I question is, what would you do? I think you definitely you don't try and replace his place. That was bad verbiage. You don't try and replace him as a character. You add another quality member to the Suicide Squad. Fucking I mean, Bane. Be, I mean, be, well, I mean, somebody. Somebody that that's that caliber. Um, 
because I think I think you have to keep Katana, you have to keep Captain Boomerang, you have to keep Killer Croc because seeing that Killer Croc in Suicide Squad, I mean, I was like a little kid at Chuck E. Cheese for the first time. Killer yeah, Croc is one of my favorite B villains ever, and seeing him at least half-ass done well made made me super excited. Yeah, they did a good job with Waylon Jones in the in mm-hmm. the movie. I think they they definitely did a good job paying tribute to that character. I I would like to see more of him as well. Uh, Margot Robbie is going to return, I would hope. But of course, that's a question. That's a whole different question because she now has Birds of Prey. Birds of the, Prey. You know, fantastical emancipation of one Harley Quinn or whatever the fuck that whole entire thing is called. So I I think I think it and and. Where I was going next was, I mean, you think of the characters that you lost. You lost... Um, Slipknot was first. You, you lost Slipknot, and then you also lost Diablo towards Does the en- end of the film. D- Does Enchantress end up dying, too? Ye- yes. So then she's gone, too. Yep. So you've got three... Um, I really liked Diablo in the in the first film. Yeah, I mean when when he went full Aztec god, I, I mean I got a hard on. So um, watching thing. gods do watching gods duke it out is kind of my thing. <laughs> uh, I like that. But I I think I think if you if you kind of slot somebody in that's comparable, give Killer Croc a little bit more screen time, give Katana and Captain Boomerang a little bit more sling or er, uh, screen time. Push a couple maybe less known people, but cast really good actors as them. I think that would work out, and you know James Gunn has the ability to do that. I think James Gunn is one of the best casting directors in Hollywood. Let alone, you know, has the ability to write a fa- write and produce a fantastic story. So, I'm optimistic. I think if you try and recast Deadshot, you're just shooting yourself in the foot, you're and not that pun would. <laughs> that pun was intended. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, dead sight on the fucking toe too. Like blow the fucking big toe clean off because it's a mm-hmm. it's a fatal error. <laughs> like you're gonna fuck it all up if you do that. Right. Uh, I I just think recasting Will Smith, you're never gonna get anybody that pulls the charm and the veracity of that story while also being believably uh, vulnerable. Because I think that's he- one thing that made Deadshot really a great character in that movie was he was. A hard ass, but there's this vulnerable side to him that you just are like, man, I feel for you, dog. Like, mm-hmm. damn it. Like, I am legend sucked, and now this sucks too. What the fuck, Will Smith? Knock it off. Right. <laughs> yeah, but there was a dog in I Am Legend, so it made it worthwhile. Replace the dog with his daughter in fucking Suicide Squad. <laughs> it's the same fucking thing, you know? Not to change top check topics, but here's a fun fact. Did you know that the story of I Am Legend is the most written and rewritten story in the history of mankind? Last Man Surviving Apocalypse? Mm-hmm. With yeah. vampires. Well, with... Yeah, with is that like a standard trope with vampires? Like you threw yes. that in like you were serious. Like no, seriously. They always write about it with vampires. That it's that story because if you think about um Charlton Heston was in a movie in the 70s or early 80s called Omega Man. Okay. Omega yep. Omega Man and I Am Legend is the same story. Okay, this, that this this story was originally written in the 30s and then it it has been the most rewritten and redone story in the history of man. Just changing the name of it trying to make it huh. 
Interesting. Yeah, I am Legends. That was just on a. That was when I tuned out to Will Smith as an actor because I'm like, you stop doing all these fucking sad movies. He did like Seven Hitch. Pounds, Hitch, The Pursuit of Happiness, mm-hmm. fucking uh, this movie that we're talking about. Uh, the one that le- he did with Margot Robbie where he's a con man. Remember that? That one was actually really sad too. I don't think I know that one. Dude, even Hitchcock was fucking sad. Mm-hmm. Like, Hancock. Hancock, Han- not Hitchcock, yep. my bad, Hancock. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, fuck. Uh, I don't know. To speak real quick on the Will Smith genie thing, you brought it up, and I just want to say something real quick. I think it was a bad idea. This this is Disney. I, I, I was almost sold on going and seeing live-action Aladdin mm-hmm. until I saw Will Smith's blue-ass genie, and it just did it. It just boner killer, you know. Well, I th- I think I think where we're at right now with that film, Disney has to be cognizant of the fan reception of Will Smith as the genie. So I imagine when it comes, you know, on preview night when people go and see that film, the final cut of that film, he's gonna be doctored up quite a bit, and maybe looking a little more Fresh Prince and a little bit less Blue Man Group. Um, you know, there there was that meme that circulated, you know, within five hours of, of that trailer dropping where it's like seeing Will Smith's genie and being incredibly unhappy, but then remembering that Robin Williams would want you to watch the movie and just be happy. Damn you know, it, you got me there. You know, that, that definitely hits you in the feels. But I also saw a kind of wish list the other day that, if they were going to cast anyone as the genie, they should have cast Jack Black. Oh my God, that would have been a fucking mm-hmm. amazing casting. I think well, I think Will Smith is definitely your end all be all because he has he he is obviously a lot more talented actor than Jack Black. I think Jack Black's a better comedian. I I, I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I with all of Disney's live action remakes, I am very cautious it's just because they're not even i mean for the most part like let's keep it real dude they're not live action these are cgi screened movies that have actors that are live that are also still having cgi done to their existence right you know talking animals and shit so I just, it's like, cool, you're remaking the movie, and I and for the sake of, like, okay, visually, as a visual artist, I love seeing something in its highest, most polished form. But that's mm-hmm. beautiful, you know, like, truly. And I was always a perfectionist and wanting to go back and rewrite old songs back in the day and shit till they were perfect and exactly what I was thinking now and exactly my vision and shit. So I get Disney's, like, you know, we had animation back in the fucking 30s, and it was a whole different time, and we really couldn't elaborate and share with people the stories we wanted to share. So you do something like, you know, Dumbo or Jungle Book or whatever, but now you're mm-hmm. getting, you're jumping into 90s kids' territory, and right. it's super dangerous. Like, you're going to either piss people off with Aladdin, or everyone's going to come into that movie going, I don't give a fuck if you saw Aladdin 634 goddamn times when you were a kid. Go see it in theaters because it'll blow your fucking mind. That's what I'm hoping. Absolutely. Um, You know, I think I think Disney got a little bit over ambitious when they started doing the 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 remakes. Um, 
you know, I watched The Jungle Book, loved it. I watched Andy Serkis's Mowgli, which is his rendition of live-action Jungle Book, and his version of The Jungle Book was way better than the one that Disney did. Really? I was and curious it, what Mowgli to, was. To, I'm glad you cleared that up for me. To me, anyway, um, I enjoyed it a lot better. Um, you know, the the mocap and the CGI are ve- are very very comparable. Um, I just like Andy Serkis's script a lot better. Uh, and and you know, he did that for Netflix. Disney did it for everyone. <laughs> Well, I mean, so, I think Netflix did it for everyone too. But well, but I know I mean, what you're saying. You know, you you get you're you're picking up what I'm putting down. So absolutely, if Andy Serkis can do a better job of telling the Jungle Book story than Disney can, that's a little bit off-putting to me. I've never been a Dumbo guy. I never liked that movie as a kid. Same. And and seeing seeing the live-action trailers for Dumbo here recently. Um, I want to see that movie even less than I did with a ki- when I was a kid. Um, so I don't, I don't know I mean, because here's here's part of the issue: if they continue this trend, are we eventually going to get live action Toy Story? I mean, think about how creepy that would be. You just made my head hurt because I don't. Yeah. No, that can't. No, don't do. Th- I mean, but then that's. Okay, now I, I, I get the train you're on, but that's Pixar, though, too. And right, I don't think Pixar is going to let Disney jump into the honeypot and pull that out. I don't think so, but here's <laughs> here's basically what I was getting at. If you do a live-action Toy Story, you're basically telling the story of Pinocchio. And, and live-action Pinocchio is one of the next ones on their list. So, you're I don't know. You're telling the story, essentially. Right. Disney's just in a weird place right now. You know, here in a little bit, you and I are going to talk about Star Wars and what the state of Star Wars is. Um, you know, I, I really want... We know Endgame is going to succeed. That's not a we, question. Same with no. Captain Marvel. Those are movies we, that are made. We want Captain Marvel to succeed. There's a lot of people, and you talked about it on your last couple episodes of JIC, there's a lot of people that want Captain Marvel to fail because it's got a woman in the lead role, okay? Yep. That's obviously wrong. Um, but the re- the reason I kind of got on this track, I'm really, really happy to see Rotten Tomatoes do what they did yes, a couple days you. ago. Thank you Finally, for bringing this up. You and I have been complaining about Rotten Tomatoes' ability to ruin a movie before it's even in the theater since Star Wars The Last Jedi. Well, and, and coupled with all the things that I think and the injustices that have been done to some of the DC movies. I mean, let's absolutely. be real. Some of those DC movies have had no chance out of the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, Especially and, and, Justice League. Oh, man, that was awful. Because I thought Justice League, I mean, if we're being honest... Like, Justice League is probably the third best movie in the DCEU. I think Justice League is just as good and every bit as good as Avengers 2012. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. They're, they're, they're identical movies. Very the, much the, so. The script is just a little bit better in Avengers. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the only difference. Well, of course, you had Joss Whedon at the helm versus Zack Snyder, right. who was leaving and giving it over to fucking Joss Whedon. Wait, what? Joss right. Whedon, you're showing up everywhere. God damn it. Right. No wonder it was just as good because he had his hands in it as well. 
Mm-hmm. He's the man with no no border restraint. Joss Whedon just does whatever Joss Whedon wants to do. So let me read this official statement real quick to you from Rotten Tomatoes. This is based on what you were talking about. As of February 25th, that was a few short days ago here, uh, we will no longer show the want-to-see percentage score for a movie during pre-release period. Why, you might ask? We found that the the want-to-see percentage score is oftentimes confused with the audience score percentage number. Audience score percentage, for those who haven't been following, is the percentage of all users who have rated the movie or TV show positively. That is, given it a rating of 3.5 or higher, and is only shown once the movie or TV show is released. What else are we doing? We are disabling the comment functions prior to a movie's release date. Unfortunately, we have seen an uptick in non-constructive input, sometimes bordering on trolling, which we believe is a disservice to our general readership. We have decided that turning off this feature for now is the best course of action. Don't worry, though. Fans will get still get to have their say. Once a movie is released, audiences can leave a user rating and comment as they always have. Yeah, I mean, if I could give Rotten Tomatoes a standing ovation right now, I would. Because I have used Rotten Tomatoes since the late 90s to reaffirm movies that I already wanted to see. Um... And for once in the last five years, Rotten Tomatoes has made a maybe maybe one of the best decisions in the modern age of the internet to stop letting people be fucking assholes for no reason. Thank you. I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. We talked about it. You and I talked about it with Black Panther. We talked about it with the Last Jedi when we did our really really long Last Jedi review. You know, there were people trying to shit on Avengers: Infinity War. Before it came out, there's, solo. It's, it's solo, especially. I mean Man. that 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 movie shot itself in the foot, but it was good enough to not deserve what it got. So and, I absolutely and, agree and with that. To do Ron Howard the disservice that us as fans did to Ron Howard, you know that's aggravating enough. I mean he's one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse as far as directors go in my opinion um i i we need we need to stop trying to take fun away from everybody else thank you everybody should just be like fucking have fun if you want to go see a movie go see it yeah if you go see uh, a movie and it's bad tell me not to go see it it's that simple but you know what, though? Let me say this, too. I think this show has shown me a constructive way, and hopefully you, because you also listen to the show sometime, can maybe shed some insight from the other side of the, the aisle, as it were. But, like, when I'm giving, like, my Aquaman review, I really tried to like that movie. Like, with my mm-hmm. heart and soul, I really wanted to love it. I love Jason Momoa. I think he's a fantastic human being, like, across the board. Uh but I didn't want to just be like, oh, man, fuck that movie. It was stupid. It was bad. It was like I tried to say, here's why I didn't like it. But maybe that's not going to prevent someone else from giving it a shot. You know, uh, I think we need to learn to be more constructive in how we critique things just because we all have the voice to say, like, oh, this is my opinion doesn't mean that we need to give our like. I'm going to fucking say fuck you no matter what you say, man, you know, type thing. Oh, Tyler's doing a dance. He's doing a little. You guys aren't Sorry. seeing this, but it's okay. Had, had to peep. Had to peep something. No, I I think you do a very good job, 
even when you review something poorly on on JIC, you do a very good job of, of kind of uh, maintaining neutral ground. Um, you know, the only thing that I've heard you absolutely shit on when you review is Venom, and that's totally understandable. Um, you you, you know, obviously you and did I, not hear my Fantastic Four review, my friend. Which go way one? back in the annals. Go way back in the annals of, I think it was like Journey into Comics 64. I'm probably going to look it up just to confirm that. I'm pretty sure it was JIC 64. But that is the one movie that did not get a fucking chance for me. From the jump the, of the movie, I was judging it. The last rendition of Fantastic Four? Correct. The Fan Four stick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, and, you and I talked about that one-on-one. Um, you know, that's, that's totally understandable, too. I mean, it, it did not deserve a chance. Mm-mm. That's that's three Fantastic Four movies that we've gotten that have all been awful. Trying to find it here. Maybe it was 54? <clears throat> shit, I, we're doing it again, man. We're trying to find shit in the annals of the fucking old catalog of shit. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. F- episode 58, The Fantastic Flop. <laughs> So mm-hmm. I mean I like I dogpiled that movie that I mean it was But it deserved it. It, it wasn't really unwarranted. You know, and let me say this too. While I was a little bit harsher in my critique to Venom, I think the only reason is he's genuinely one of the few characters I hold much like you a little closer to my heart. So mm-hmm. I looked at it from the more like what does my comic book brain tell me over what does my enjoyment brain tell me? Now I will say that I do still plan to rewatch that movie in a complete, just silent, do it and not say anything until it's over mode to like mm-hmm. really soak it in one more time. And then I'm going to give my like double down review. And that's probably going to be a lot more constructive and, and better, better said. Cause I was a little bit heated. I'm not going to pretend man. Venom came out and I watched it and I was like, what is this shit? I can't like it because it just didn't do the character, I guess. Um, but at the same time, but at the same time, you got to remember it was better than Fantastic Four. It so, was better than Fantastic Four, and it was also, and you're going to hear me say it here, way better than the Venom they did in Spider-Man Three. Absolutely. Oh man, Topher Grace, get out of here! Fuck you, Topher Grace. Speaking of Spider-Man, we're talking about Spider-Man stuff. So you saw that Into the Spider-Verse won the Oscar for Best Animated. Absolutely. There was some controversy. I don't know if you know this, but uh, the 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 thank you speech at the end, uh, the producers of the award or the of the movie, Chris Miller and uh, what is it, Phil Phil Lord and Chris Miller? I can't remember. Anyways, yes, yes. Uh, they got cut off before they could thank Steve uh, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. So they went on Twitter because people were like. How could you fucking win an Oscar and not thank Stan Lee? Like, what the fuck, you stupid fucks? And they were like, what Bob Pershetti and I were going to say on stage before the mic was cut off was, and finally, thank you, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, for inspiring all of this and believing we all have the capacity to be heroes. This goes right along with everything that we just said with Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, those guys got a real bad start with the Lego movie and they tried to make a Star Wars movie and couldn't do it and then they then they produced something incredible. You with, saw Spidey? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, man. I, 
So they so then they they go and do something incredible. They do their swan song. They totally redeem themselves. And then they do something that's not their fault, but it's not entirely kosher with fans and then well, go ahead and grab your pitchforks, folks. We're going to lynch those two boys in the town square. I've had enough of their rootin' tootin' tarnation. I'm like, come on. Yeah, I think it's silly. I'm glad they cleared it up though, because it's like, of course, they were gonna thank you, thank them. One thing I always think of when I watch the Oscars is like, well, I wonder when their mics are gonna cut out. It's literally the first thing I say every time someone wins an award. Like, wonder if they get two minutes or five. Like, we'll see. If if you're at an award show and that award show is policing the amount of time that you have opportunity to thank the people that have either inspired you and or contributed to your excess or success in that project and or in your career, um, that sounds like a um, culture problem and not a you problem, in my opinion. I agree with you. The, I think I think if, it's, it's if absolute. If I can sit in the Super Bowl and watch nine hours of commercials that suck, but I can't watch five more minutes of an award show because thank somebody you. wants to thank Stan Lee or Jack Kirby or any of, any of that, you know, that squad, then there's a problem. It's yeah, a problem. I agree. And I think, too, that, uh, the, you know, the Oscars, you have to do, like, a good job of not telling someone you won. Like, you're going to win. So you can't really police, like, a thing. But I do think they should give everyone a guideline. Like, no matter what, every single person who wins an Oscar will have an opportunity to talk up to X amount of time. That way, mm-hmm. people who are planning their fucking speeches can go, okay. I need to get all of this out as consorted as possible in three and a half minutes flat. Right. You know, but I feel like it's just like unpoliced. They don't really say who gets how long. Best picture can go up and talk for fucking 45 minutes after the show is over. But best visual effects and design gets like literally 30 seconds right before a commercial. So it's like the imbalances of it all. You know, I get that the best picture is a much more prestigious award, but you're still winning an Oscar no matter if it's for a fucking the the production design, the costumes or the fucking best picture. It is a in the annals of time, you are one of 91 years of history to win this award. And in years past, I've seen it where, you know, those visual effects or costume designers or what have you haven't even had the opportunity to say anything. They are announced, they walk up on stage, they're handed the award, they shake hands, and right when they're going to take the mic to say something, it cuts to commercial. And then they get pushed. Yeah, and then they get pushed off, and that's just unacceptable. To me, that's part of the reason I don't watch it. Because I am not going to support a award show that's supposed to be for everybody from the bottom of the industry to the top of the industry. 91 years of history, like you just said, that's going to shit on people and not give them a chance to talk. Yeah, and I mean, also, uh, to always look at both sides of the coin, as you know I try to do. Uh, to be fair, you have to think about, like, 20 years ago when they really didn't police it, sometimes people would talk for like 45 minutes legitimately in their acceptance speech. And that was a problem. So, I mean, I do, there are values in looking at it both ways, but I do think they need to have some better form of a system to allow people to actually thank the people they're intending to thank and not just be like, okay, well, their time is done. Like, who are you to tell me my time is done? If it's literally the last line I'm about to say, don't cut me off. Right. You know, like, I feel like maybe what they should do in future is like, 
if you're if you're gonna win an award at the at the Oscars, you should have your script, whatever your thank you letter is gonna be, should be typed up, and you should have the typed up version, and you should be able to hand a secondary copy of that to a stage manager, who's gonna then look at it and say, okay, according to what they say here, they timed themselves doing this at three minutes, so we don't have to worry. They'll get it in right. under three minutes. It's not a big deal. They're fucking professionals. They won an Oscar. If they can't write right. a speech and get it in under three minutes, there's a problem. Well, and then you say stage manager to actor's manager or producer or agent or whoever. Hey, they've got their speech written up. It says three minutes. We're going to go ahead and give them five to seven minutes because someone else is going to go up on stage with them. You know, whether it's the announcer or, you know, whatever. You have five to seven minutes if you win this award. You do not have to use that amount of time. If you choose not to, the show will go by a little bit faster. If you choose to, if you choose to, we're going to be here twenty extra minutes. There Simple you go. as that. Boom. I mean, that's an easy way to solve the problem. I think. Uh, now I don't know which direction we've kind of pulled ourselves, Spider-Man, for a minute here. There's some other marvel news. We've discussed the DC stuff. You wanted to talk about the state of Star Wars. Uh, do we? Let's just get into that next. I think. I think that's a good middle point here uh, to okay. really dive in. I'm I'm gonna open this with a very simple and broad question. Please do. What What is your opinion of the state of Star Wars as it sits right now? Prior to Star Wars Episode Nine, I think we're in an interesting time for Star Wars. And what I mean by that is, uh, I mean that you've got something like The Mandalorian, which is... Which I'm very forward. excited for. Obviously, we're going to see it this year. It's going to be the reason a lot of people pick up the DC or the, uh, the Disney Plus service. I look at, you know, not... Talking about episode nine, which we really haven't seen anything of, but episode from from solo backwards, and I think about what Kathleen Kennedy has done, and there are ups, there are high points in her in her in her helping rebrand Star Wars, but there are also some really fucking stupid moments. They shot mm-hmm. themselves in the foot. They almost released a bad version of of Rogue One and had to like last minute decide that the movie they told them to make is not a good movie and that they need to find an actual good idea, like. That's fucked up. And then you look at all the you spoke about, you know, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, like Mm -hmm. they had the reins of fucking solo. These guys created the Lego movie. It should have won an Oscar, arguably, and get they get robbed and and then they get robbed of being able to just fulfill their destiny and write a, a movie because they said, let's be a little bit more loose with it. Let's have a little bit more fun with the dialogue. Like we can still drive the story. We can still tell the story that Disney wants us to tell to drive their narrative, but we need to loosen this up. And Disney was just like, nah, click. Like, I feel like those are missteps. Those are big missteps on Kathleen Kennedy's behalf. So to, to like quickly answer your, your very broad question, uh, the state of Star Wars right now is like middle ground because I feel like there are good things coming. There are good things that have happened. There are bad things that have happened. But maybe if we get past those little bit of bumpy rocks, which is somebody taking over the helms of something that we all treasure uh, for the majority of our lives. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, I've I've literally watched Star Wars since I was born. So uh, Kathleen Kennedy's missteps, you know, she's not going to be perfect doing this job or whoever isn't going to be perfect doing this job. But... If she keeps making mistakes, I feel like there has to be a change at the top. 
if she can keep things solid, if episode nine is well received and from there on out, we can keep making positive ground in the universes and the game of Thrones guys can do all of the things they're going to do. And Ryan Johnson can do his trilogy. Cause all these things are still happening. Uh, some people got it twisted and claimed that that was not the case. And it, those are all fake. Those things are still on. We're going to get two new trilogies from two different brains and perspective ryan johnson's gonna have his free reign i think he did a fantastic job with last jedi let him play with his own universe and create something original please bring it the game of thrones guys i don't have to tell you a goddamn thing and you know what they're capable of so the state of star wars is in flux that's the word i want to use in flux so so there's a lot of what you said that i want to touch on um, I think Please first do. and foremost, I think first and foremost, you said that maybe maybe a change needs to be made, uh, made or maybe not made with Kathleen Kennedy. I think that something needs to happen with Kathleen Kennedy if she's going to maintain her position in control over Star Wars. Then she needs a very very strong supporting cast to kind of hold her reins and control and to say, hey, okay, maybe you should back down off of this project a little bit and let these guys make their movie. Or, hey, these guys are really struggling. You're giving them a lot of leash. Let's step in a little bit here. Let's be controlled. Let's not jump the gun. Let's see what happens. And I think I think you need to start with two people. You need to reach out to George Lucas and say, Ooh. hey, you, we've got your, this is, this is your child. We need an accountability, are, buddy. We are, we are babysitting your child, and we want to continue to do your legacy justice. Um, we know that you are detached but are still in love with your child. Would you would you be interested in being a consultant for us on a quarterly basis to basically just evaluate what we have, where we're at in every project, and you know we'll we'll throw a little bit of cash your direction. And I'm where George Lucas struggled as an editor, he shined as a director. So let him. Let him be your critiquer. Your visual storyteller. Yes. Correct. He he is not going mm. to break down a script piece by piece and see and um storyboard piece by piece from an editor's perspective. He's going to do it from a director's perspective. And that's kind of why he struggled as an editor, and that's why his wife had to do so much of it. You know, Star Wars was edited beautifully because of his wife, not because of George Lucas. People don't realize that a lot of times. And if if George Lucas is not interested and he wants to continue to just be a fan of what he created, then I think you need to reach out to Steven Spielberg. Ooh, Spielberg, Spielberg is not a name I was expecting you to say because, you know, I, I like both those names. I like George because, obviously, you said it. It's his baby. He can be an mm-hmm. accountability buddy. 
show up. He reads the script. He's like, hey, I really loved your script. I would change this like one thing. Okay, so then he's done reading the script for the day. Now he's going to go to another thing and be on the set for a minute and give his ideas on this one specific scene that they have trouble shooting. Okay, so mm-hmm. he gave his consultant there. Now he's going to drive over here and fucking sit for 30 minutes to listen to the music of this one scene for this other Star Wars project that's going on. And then when he leaves there, he's going to go to one final place and be on the cutting room floor and edit the fucking last seconds of episode nine or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I love that idea. Um, and the, of course, the same could be said for George Lucas doing that, or not George Lucas, uh, Steven Spielberg, because he obviously, in his own way, had a lot of stock in Star Wars' success, too. Mm-hmm. So um, I like those. I actually thought you were going to say somebody in-house, like Kevin Feige, perhaps? Okay, so there were two more people that I was going to mention. Kevin Feige was one of them, for sure. Sure. Um, because, I mean, I don't need I don't need to hype anybody up or educate anybody on how... How Kevin Feige knows how to make some money. I mean, like, listen, Marvel is an anomaly. There is no other thing like Marvel but Marvel. Absolutely, and I think I think Star Wars can become that with a little bit more direction, a little bit more guidance, um, a little bit more planning, dude. That's what they need is somebody yes. to actually say what's the long term. Yes, Star Wars needs a roadmap, just like Marvel needed a roadmap from the beginning. Um, and the, la- the, the last person that I would kind of throw in there would be, we talked about him a little bit ago, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon oh. knows sci-fi in, in, in good conscience. I cannot understand why Joss Whedon has not been involved in a Star Wars project thus far. I get why J.J. Abrams is. J.J. Abrams revitalized Star Trek. Why would you not bring in Joss Whedon, one of the most celebrated nerd directors of all time? Also one of the most controversial. I mean, I'll throw that in there too. A lot of people don't like Whedon's projects. Um, but just watching, just watch Firefly, that one season swan song that Joss Whedon had. There are more people that want Firefly to be resurrected than people want Star Wars to continue right now. I can almost guarantee you. And you you give Whedon a project that's that's outside of the regular universe or you know with either Ryan Johnson or the Game of Thrones guys or the Mandalorian, you bring Whedon in on a project like that and say, "Hey, this is this is the tone. This is this is what I'm trying to convey in this sci-fi universe. How can you help me do it? How can you help me make a space western or a space noir film? Whedon is very good at taking a theme and adding another theme on top of it and doing it very well. Um, so I think I think if you brought any any of those four people in as a consultant and or replaced. Kathleen Kennedy with Ken- with Kevin Feige, um, I think that would improve the state of Star Wars a lot. I think part of the problems that I that part of the problem that I have with the state of Star Wars right now is not even anything from the company level down. It's from us as fans up, um, and I think I think with Rotten Tomatoes with the move that they made, and I'm really glad that we dove into that right away. I think that will help movies like Episode Nine and TV shows like The Mandalorian and, and every other project coming up here soon. Um, but we still have social media to worry about. You know, we still have the Facebooks and the Twitters and 
the Instagrams and yeah, where people can shit the... post and say all the kinds of crazy shit they want to say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's up it's up to us as creators to to you know be the be the wall at the edge of the beach stopping the tsunami from from drowning everybody because the Mandalorian is a project that that I am I am so excited for I cannot hardly stand it not just because it's one of one of my kind of favorite archetypes in all of you know all of storytelling it's not because it's Star Wars and because it's one of my favorite like races of people slash lifestyles of people in the star wars universe Beautiful a lot set. of it has to a lot of it has to do with john favreau being involved yeah and dude not th- to mention john favreau think about i mean just i don't know if you know this taika watiti directed an yes. episode how yep, fucking yep, yep, radical yep. that they brought celebrity other go- people that have done other things that work in-house with disney and marvel and all that to say mm-hmm. hey have your hand at this you know what that sounds like to me do you want me to tell you really it's collaborative storytelling, number well, that's one. Well, that's a great thing. But here's what I secretly also see, because I see Disney is always looking at the long game, and they're mm-hmm. going, okay, here's the deal. If we can get all these different guys in here who have never had a chance to officially direct Star Wars, and we have now a great giant question mark. At the end of this year, we have no Star Wars plans for the future, officially. Right. We have a lot of things in development, a lot of things that could possibly happen. The Mandalorian is officially happening, but like movie universe-wise, there's a big fucking question mark. And they go, well, you know what? Taika Waititi did a pretty fucking great job with Thor Ragnarok. He probably would have done a great job with Guardians 3 if he decided to take it. He's not going to. Uh, what will he do with the Star Wars universe? Let's take a look at it. What's the best way to do that? Give him an episode. If they didn't like him as a director, they wouldn't have given him the opportunity, you know? It's it's basically an audition for what's it is. coming. Yes, it's, a, it's, it's like a long game audition. This is essentially like, dude, you want a fucking trilogy? Knock it out of the park right here. You want a fucking solo movie? Like, not solo himself, but like a right. Kenobi movie or something? Knock it out of the park right here. Well, and I, th- I think that's that was one of the things that I was going to go to next. I think Disney and um, Star Wars needs to focus a little bit less on these massive, sprawling trilogies. Not everything has to be 1977 all over again. Give us a little bit more of Rogue One type films because I'm telling you you know you and I have talked about it a lot I've talked about it on this show podcastrophy Brandon and I talked about it a lot I went into Rogue One very excited 30 minutes into the film I turned to my wife and said why am I fucking sitting here this is not Star Wars and I do not like this I did not like the way the first half of that movie was edited and then at the end of that film when I got up and left that theater, I looked at my wife and I said, that is one of the best Star Wars movies I have ever seen. It felt like I was 14 years old again reading an expanded universe novel, just fully enthralled from page one to page 500, and didn't hate a single second of it once I got past that. You know, the opening the opening sequence of that film is definitely a little slow, and I don't think anybody will argue that. The Jenner's so story is a little bit slow for sure. Like mm-hmm. the building of that character, her dad's uh, Galen Urso story, Galen Urso mm-hmm. story, the background and 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 all that. Uh, it's funny to mention, you know, uh, Rogue One because I think it was it was Disney and Star Wars saying, "Look, we can do a beautiful tragedy that doesn't have a nice bow on it." And mm-hmm. here's the crazy part: if you're a fan of Star Wars, 
you went in knowing how that movie ended. You, Correct. I did not need to read a fucking book. I did not need to go look at the fucking comic graphic novelization of the movie to know how the movie was probably going to play out because I knew my history of Star Wars. I know that the people that get the plans for the Death Star don't make it out, man. That's the whole point. They tragically lost their lives for this fucking moment that made the Resistance explode into what the Resistance became. I mean... So for them to just almost saunter in and like, we're going to do this. And they did it the right way, you know? Absolutely. And I, I think they did Solo the right way too, man. I mean, to just be honest. So I I think that the, the, the Disney Plus service is going to also serve as like the underground farming league to make these directors like, we know we can use him for this. We'll be able to put this guy here. Maybe we can use this guy who directed a Mandalorian episode for to do a, a Marvel project, say the Eternals or whatever mm -hmm. the fuck it is, you know, like it's like Disney's just like farming talent, man. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's 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 a fantastic business model to have a farm system for I mean, because. You and I last year a lot made the joke that Disney was this new world order that it was eventually going to take over everything, and, and, and I still think that's true. New Republic uh, of Disney, twenty fifty. Yes. But if if they create an effective farm system for projects, they basically have a limitless amount of potential over the next twenty to thirty years. Who's to say that Taika Waititi doesn't come in and direct something like? I don't know, um, kind of like a Wreck-It Ralph, something that just came, just comes out of nowhere. Who's to say that any of those directors don't come in and start kind of, you know, Disney is known for its animated films. In today's climate, they're kind of being forgotten about when, when all people are thinking about is Star Wars and uh, Marvel movies. You You give those guys basically the reins and say, okay, well, this year... I would like you to do this standalone Star Wars film. Here's your time frame. If you need some money, let us know. We'll write you a check. And then, I mean, take you a vacation. How would you like to, how would you like to direct a movie about a, a penguin? An animated penguin. I mean, obviously, I'm just pulling stuff out of my ass, and it doesn't sound very good coming from me. No, I mean, you're saying March of Penguins. I get it. It's a good movie. Or Happy you... Feet. Or Happy Feet. Oh, Happy Feet. feet you know? Yeah, there you go. I mean, if you're Taika Waititi, and you have a, you have that good of a rapport with Disney that they're starting to throw projects towards you that they would normally not throw. I mean, this... I'm saying this post-Star Wars. So the farm system is effective. All of these directors have effectively fleshed out their Star Wars goals or hopes and dreams, however however you would like to label it. And then Disney says, hey, how would you like to do an animated movie with us? Or how would you like to work with Pixar on a film? You know, I'm sure that there's a lot of those those directors that would say... You know, I think I would really struggle with an animated movie, so I'm going to keep doing either Disney or, or, or I'm sorry, Marvel or Star Wars, if that's okay with you. And maybe somebody like Taika Waititi says, you know, I would really like to do an animated comedy. You know, okay, I would. Let's just I, try it. I would really like to do something along the same vein of Thor Ragnarok, but fully animated. Mom you know, spaghetti, bro. Mom spaghetti. Yeah, you, you only don't get one know, shot. You don't know where. A lot of times you don't know a director's end-all, be-all project. 
You know, yeah. and a lot of and for for somebody like Ron Howard, everybody said, well, you know, he turned down uh, the Phantom Menace, and and no one ever thought he would do another Star Wars. Star Wars for him wasn't his, you know, magnum opus. He's had Not that. Al- Ron How Ron Howard's had that already. Apollo um, Eleven, bro. Yes. So, I mean, who's to say somebody like uh, John Favreau doesn't say, well, you know what? Um, maybe I want to do an animated Star Wars movie. I would like to work with Pixar on something like that. Ooh. So. What I'm trying to get at is as much as I'm unhappy with with Star Wars where it's at in its roadmap or lack thereof, which we've established, I think the potential is limitless, especially when, and you and I have talked about it in the past, you bring in all the expanded universe content that's not canon right now. If you get a director like John Favreau that says, you know, I'd really like to tell a story about this person, and Disney goes, well... How would you fit that in this overall timeline that we have of canon? And Favreau says, well, I would plug it here. Or he says, you know what? We don't have to make it canon. It's it's a standalone movie. Let's just do what we want to do. And Disney's either going to go, you know, kill it or thumbs up, and, and then let's see what happens. Maybe you're so, running with it. Yeah. I, 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 I want to kind of close my spiel as far as that goes with, I still think that Kathleen Kennedy needs to be yanked from the chair. Yeah, and I definitely, I, I definitely agree with you on moving Kevin Feige right into that spot. If he can handle the workload. Well, I think bigger than that though, I think Kevin Feige is at a position right now where he has created such a fine tuned machine under the Marvel banner that he doesn't necessarily away, have to be there. He doesn't. He could literally show up and say, okay, hey, what do you guys want to do for the next 10 years? Let's write out the, the, the roadmap right now, and let's figure out how we want to do it. Okay, one day or a week or whatever. He's like, this is great. This is great. We're going to use this. We'll sprinkle these things in here. Bring all the ideas to me, like blah, blah, blah. He can probably handle it. I mean, really, if he becomes roadmap guy for Disney, you know, it, it would be glorious uh, to follow, you know, what you were saying. Again, like, you know, I, I, I'm not kidding when I say it's Mama Spaghetti. You know, Taika Waititi, with, with, with the opportunities he's going to be given, he's only going to get one shot to do things outside the bounds, you know, and I wanted to make mm-hmm. a, a kitschy little Eminem joke because why the fuck not, you know. Uh, to speak on Disney and stuff, though, I don't know if you know this, but the end of this week could be pretty crazy for us Marvel fans. As far as the uh, well, merger moving forward or moving backwards well so the latest reports are there was like an initial report that brazil had blocked some shit and said we're not letting Mm -hmm. the disney deal go through you need to sell assets for fox sports espn sports something with hulu like not actually hulu but like something subsidiary that deals with hulu in the brazil market Disney immediately did exactly what they were asked. They kind of had it planned. They already had buyers, so they just did it. They unloaded it, and they've done everything so fast that there are inside market experts who are claiming that March 8th, which is literally four short days away from here, Friday as it were, we will get the closing of the Disney-Fox deal. And if that happens, let me tell you, all bets are fucking off because that's going to be the night Captain Marvel drops. 
that's going to be in enough time before uh, Avengers Endgame that maybe they knew this was coming. Maybe we do get a sneak peek of, say, a Silver Surfer or the Fantastic Four or the X-Men. Any number of teasers could be dropped. Um what are your, th- you know, I feel like AP has mixed thoughts on the deal going through now that we've been almost like a year and a half through, will it happen? Won't it happen? Are we done? Are we not done? Will the deal actually close? Is somebody else going to buy it out? Like, where do you stand now with this deal? And is if, if, and when we seem to move forward with it, possibly four short days away here as we talk about it. So, so here's kind of the, and it's, I'm sure you're going to be surprised, but as much as I want to see Hugh Jackman as Logan alongside the Avengers and the rest of the X-Men doing shit and everyone else from you know the Fox-owned properties, I'd really like to see Tony Stark and Deadpool slinging insults at each other and Captain America being perplexed and not really knowing what's going on. My biggest concern for the Disney-Fox merger are the Alien universe that Ridley Scott has created and the Predator universe. Um, Shane Black just did that, right? Mm-hmm. But, you and know, Shane was, Black has a good rapport. Good. Shane Black has a good rapport with Disney, though. Right. He did Iron Man 3. They loved it. They made a lot of money. Right. You, you know, it, it is... It, here's the thing. It is entirely possible for, for Disney... To go, okay, look, we, we we now have Fox, but we have some properties that, I mean, I'm sorry, but the Xenomorph is not going to be a Disney princess, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do, how do you do this? But here's the thing. Ellen Ripley could be a Disney princess. Goddamn she right was, she could. She was the first badass female heroine on the big screen Preach of it, the brother. modern era. Preach it, brother. I love that you're talking I mean, about that, too. I mean... So, so here, here's why I'm worried, and and I brought this way, I brought this up way back on Nerds of the Roundtable when we did it, way way back. That's been a um, it, it's been a while. It's when we first started talking about the Disney Fox merger. You know, that was way over a year ago. Yeah, I'm worried about Disney and Ridley Scott having a relationship. Really? Because because I I feel that Ridley Scott is a diva, and I feel much along the same lines as George Lucas with Star Wars and how fans received Star Wars. I feel like my man Ridley's a little bit burnt out and a little bit frustrated with his baby that he created. And, I mean, if you look at the overall series from Alien, one of the all-time greatest movies, it's a classic. It was an instant classic. You have aliens. You have James Cameron's take on the on the uh, source material, which is argued as the best movie in the franchise. You have three, which people shit on. Resurrection. Resurrection, Resurrection which is entertaining, but it's still an awful movie. It's got Winona Ryder as a robot, which is not fun. No. Um, and then and then we jump decades for to or Prometheus, not decades, right? Then we jumped to Prometheus, which was supposed to be the spiritual successor to Alien, and it turns out it, it's a prequel. I think it's a prequel. It was very dry. It's supposed to be a prequel, but happening very close. I mean, it's weird. I liked Prometheus personally. I mean, I liked it too, but it was dry. 
I, it was dry. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I liked Prometheus because I'm a super fan of this universe. So I, when I saw an engineer for the first time on screen, you know, I fuck with that. I've been wanting to see an engineer in this universe since I saw the the space jockey in the chair in the first Alien movie the first time. I just said first like 14 times in a row. It's okay. Um, I'm not judging you about your firsts. That's fine. Um, you know. I want I want Disney to either reach out to James Cameron, which will be hard because he's, you know, he's back in Avatar mode again. Yeah, but they bought Avatar too, dog. Right. So I in my mind, best case scenario, you get a little bit of Ridley Scott James Cameron collab. Ooh. And then you then you keep this movie or you keep this universe moving forward and you continue to give fans quality material. One thing that made me not worried about this merger was that Disney went ahead and said and Disney and Fox um the people that are involved in the projects that Disney are purchasing, the people that are remaining um Fox said that their people would continue to to stand their ground and try and keep Disney's visions true to what they started. I remember reading that when the merger was first talked about and Deadpool was being talked about, you know, is it going to stay rated R? You know, what's going to happen? And then a few weeks ago, I read an article that said Disney is adamant that when they create or when they take over projects that are historically rated R and more adult themed, they are going to maintain that stance and they are going to stay true to the source material and keep rated R movies rated R. So for all the people that are worried about Deadpool, as it stands right now, Disney's going to give you what you want. You know, and there's a way to do that, though. I mean, really, the easiest way to do that is, listen, I don't know about you. I don't know. Maybe this is just my personal preference. I don't need to see the Disney logo before I see the Marvel logo to tell me I'm in a Deadpool movie. I know I'm there to see fucking Deadpool. You could put bullshit X logo. I don't care if it's fucking dickwad production. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I'm there to see the movie. It, 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 the, 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 this is our Disney production. Like, I get you want to separate, but that's what I think they should do, man. They should literally create a separate banner to release their rated R shit under. So you can One do... You know, essentially, it's like um, what is Vertigo that DC mm-hmm. has Vertigo label, so they can release their R-rated shit through Vertigo and not be mixing and intermingling with their child market that they have. You know, it's harder to get the M-rated comics, but uh, and that's that's what I was that's where I was going to go next. If I'm Disney, I'm going to create my own studio that handles projects specifically like Deadpool, Alien, Predator. Um, you never know what James Cameron's going to do with Avatar, so, you know... Terminator? Does Terminator get bought in all this? I believe Terminator goes with it. Oh, shit. That is a game-changer, too, man. Because, listen, just to quickly touch on this, if there was one guy who is, like, let's say Kathleen Kennedy, too, that's a bad way to say it, but there's one guy who's, like, her position, who is in charge of taking the R-rated studio... Mm-hmm. Looking through the shit they've purchased and saying, okay, let's, uh, what if we take the alien and the Prometheus story? Let Ridley Scott, because he did, they did a recent, uh, Prometheus was a movie and then they did Alien. Alien Covenant. Covenant. I haven't seen that yet. Was it amazing? It's, it's very, very good. Okay. I, it's on my list. I, it's on my list. I promise I'll watch it soon. But, um, 
So you have this, and I don't know if that like gave a good wrap up to the story of that version of the universe. So Mm-mm. what you do if you're Disney is you give Ridley Scott one more movie. He's not going to be around forever. You say, "Look, man, think about how you want to how you want to close this chapter of this story you've created, right? Because he can do it. He, he mm-hmm. and, and I'm not trying to put him in a bubble. There's a reason I'm saying this." But essentially, then you're going to like let three to five years go. Just not not the crazy distance you did. Enough time to get back into pre-production, your production, and then making sure everything is kosher. And you do a hard reboot, man. I'm not saying the Aliens uh, story is bad or it needs to be changed. I'm saying that a new, fresh set of eyes with fresh ideas taking characters, um, and I hate to say it, maybe you can recast Ellen Ripley and do different stories that... Well, at this point, you're going to have to recast Ellen Ripley. If you go back in time, you're going to have to. Sigourney Weaver is not... If you gave her a limited story with the the modern technology they have for making people de-aged, I mean, I think you could do it in some limited scope. She can't do the action sequences. I'm sorry. But, like, you know, at, at least for the acting standpoint of it if you need Sigourney Weaver there while she's still here yes by all means but mm-hmm. alternately it's not a bad idea to cast young you know by that point we're five to seven years down the road the chick that plays 11 would be like 19 or 20 or something like that she mm-hmm. is an empowered woman who would probably kill in the role of Ellen Ripley so I think that Fox or not Fox but Disney rather needs to take the the, the Avatar property all these things look at him and say Long term, what's our plan? And if we're not going to keep the story that they have right now going, fully reboot and and I like and, that and fresh take it because it's now in Disney's hands. Disney can get people who really. I mean, you got to think. Example. Let's just play it like this. It might not happen, but you never know. Tyler, one day the phone rings, man, and it's Disney Studios. And they're like, hey, man, we heard your podcast, and we heard you're a really avid fan of, of Alien. And uh, we don't know what to do with this property, but we know it's worth money. And we are going to entrust in you to either A, do a movie, B, do a seven- or ten-part miniseries for television or whatever. What would you say? In a heartbeat, you're going to do it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but those there are people like that that exist out there who are fans of the source material. They are you breathe and love aliens, so you picking that up makes sense. You wouldn't look at it and go, well, let's tarnish the fucking image of Ridley Scott and change the whole fucking thing and try to interject my own bullshit. You'd go, right. okay, what do I have to work with? How do I work the story? Mm-hmm. You know, because you could tell Xenomorph story on a different planet altogether with whole new creation of fucking people, and it's not Ellen Ripley. It's another fucking character. It doesn't, you know, the. the that's the way to do it to make it sustainable because I fear and Deadpool's going to be that fringe guy that I think he is like Deadpool three, I think is going to actually be called Deadpool reboot. And it's just going to really straight to the point say like, we're not hiding the fact that we have to do this, but here we go again, mother beep, you know? Uh, but that's my, for me, I don't know about you. That's my end game. If I'm in the Disney Fox merger, I'm looking at all my properties and saying, if I can't keep it going, I'm looking at the reboot. So I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, 2014 going into 2015, Neil Blomkamp, uh, director of District 9 and Chappie and some other stuff, was offered by 21st Century Fox to do an alien movie. Would have been Covenant, right? Would have been Covenant. It was supposed to pick. It was supposed to pick up right after Aliens left off and totally ignore Alien Three, Alien Resurrection, and Prometheus. I remember this, that report. Yep, this was going to be continuing Ellen Ripley, Newt, 
you know, what was remaining of Bishop and Corporal Hicks's story um, a little bit down the line, you know, that way they wouldn't have to de-age Ripley and the guy that played Corporal Hicks, um, you know, to do all that. That got scrapped, Covenant moved forward, and the last three weeks or so, um, Disney's talking to Neil Blomkamp again. Oh. So, and here's here's what's super interesting. Ridley Scott is also involved in this. Ridley Scott is backing everything that Blomkamp wants to do. Blomkamp is constantly taking Ridley, Ridley Scott's input. So, if we don't if we don't continue the cov- the story that was set forth with Prometheus, I feel like we're going to get something coming from Neil Blomkamp, and I'm I'm really excited for that. To go back to your initial question with the merger, I'm not worried about it being stopped because even if a Brazil or a Mexico puts up you know puts up the wall, no pun intended there with Mexico. Um, and Disney has to sell off a little bit of stuff. I feel like there's enough, there's enough capital left in this country that somebody's going to buy it and, and they're going to, they are going to do what they need to do to move towards their ultimate goal, which is get back their stuff and get the stuff that they want. Yeah. And, And, and 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 I don't see any problem with that. No, I don't either. And I think that one, uh, to, we're going to touch on the James Gunn thing here because it all so, it encapsulates. I firmly stand by my belief that James Gunn will possibly see reinstatement once this Fox-Disney merger is over because, and I'm not to bring try to bring politics into this, Fox is very right-wing. Mm-hmm. James Gunn is very not right-wing. He was very for equal rights for everybody and just, you know, overall good dude. It's the whole purpose and reason why he was attacked by right-wingers in the first place that cost him the job. So if you're if you're Disney and you're trying to set this big-ass deal up and, and Fox goes, you can't have that guy working for you if we're going to put this deal together. Not going to do it. And you go, well, fuck, we need our properties back. You know, let's keep it hush. We'll quote-unquote, fire James Gunn. We're going to delay the project until we know we can get him back. Notice they haven't said we're going to go out and absolutely get a director. They're not trying to find somebody. That is what's concerning me to think. Maybe this is just like a really, really bizarre publicity stunt that works in the favor of Disney, and it works in the favor of James Gunn because it would be the most celebrated redemption story. You think, and, Disney, you think Disney's end game is bringing James Gunn back? Oh, I like what you did there. That was great. I'm yeah. all, I'm all about the dad puns tonight. Man, I love dad puns. They're great. Real quick to touch on Kevin Feige too. I want to mention this in in the Disney Fox deal. He also went on to mention the future of Disney Plus, saying that all of the MCU shows on Disney Plus will be Marvel Studio productions. That's unlike the Netflix shows, unlike Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. These will actually be Marvel Studio productions. They will be entirely interwoven with both the current the past and the future of the MCU. Okay, so because I'm not educated on this because sure. I'm because I'm just excited for when it's coming, when is the Disney Plus streaming service arriving? They've looked at July of this year. Okay. Uh, maybe into fall of this year is kind of like the target window. Some people have said that the sample beta service will be happening as soon as like uh late May. 
and maybe the first thing that comes onto the streaming service will actually be Captain Marvel. Uh, mm, okay. Because by that point, it'll just be hitting digital. It's not going to go to Netflix. It's the first movie that's not going to go to Netflix after its Marvel mass release. Uh, yeah, and then it just seems like, you know, you've got the Loki show that's officially happening. Tom Hiddleston's a part of it. Rumors and talks that they might also be doing Kid Loki, that Loki's story will be him time traveling and affecting uh, major moments in World human events. history. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, you look at the Mandalorian, we've talked about that. That's going to be amazing. So, yeah, I think Disney Plus has a lot of stuff, too. And you got to think, as soon as Disney Plus launches, immediately they can put every Disney movie, every Pixar movie, every Marvel movie, every Star Wars movie right on their streaming service immediately, as long as they're not under contract to have those streaming elsewhere. Have you have you heard any rumors about Price Point? I want to say they said it's $7.99, and also, here's a crazy rumor, uh, a lot of people are talking about how since the Disney Fox merger also includes Hulu Plus Hulu. or Hulu, that they might actually just turn Disney Plus into a add-on peripheral to Hulu. So okay. you can you just Disney plus Hulu or Hulu plus Disney plus, mm-hmm. you know, and that way you play like let's say right now it's like eleven bucks to get the ad-free television for Hulu. So you pay an additional six bucks. Then you have Disney Plus. I'm sold. Fuck it. I'll pay an extra six dollars. Are are so since Disney owns ESPN, is that going to be included in this Disney Plus streaming service? I don't know how that's going to work because ESPN Plus is actually a thing. Okay. And it's actually kind of the prototype for what I think Disney Plus is being built off of. Okay. So I don't really know how that's going to work. Uh, the sports side of this, I'm blissfully unaware. Like, I don't really know what the what the long term plan for the few things that Disney's going to have their hand in with. That it's it's also very strange to note that like the Disney Fox deal is happening. Fox is going to be a new company by the end of this year, and then also have pro wrestling as like a thing. They like WWE SmackDown is going to Fox now. What? Mm-hmm. Very weird. But so. The last question that I have for this this Disney Fox merger, and and I mean you can you can go in depth with this as you want. How how much or how little do you think this is going to affect your Amazon Prime streaming services, your Netflix streaming services? I mean, just just off the top of my head, just at a glance, I don't think it's going to hit Netflix that hard because of how much original content that they're now pushing. I think that they've been pushing all that original content so hard in preparation for all of Disney's content leaving their service. Amazon, I think, is a little bit less prepared because they have been doing a lot of... Uh, in-house stuff, a lot of, uh, you know, direct-to-Amazon Prime um, stuff, but if you compare Prime streaming service versus Netflix, I mean, it's pretty easy to, to know which one's king. Yeah, Netflix. So, yeah, um, Amazon Prime's streaming service is pretty weak, I think. But but I'm, inter- I'm but I'm interested to hear your opinion on how on how that overall is going to affect not just you know the competitors but overall streaming services. Is Disney going to roll out the end all be all for streaming services, or you know are they going to go along the same 
the same, not necessarily user interface, but the same model that Netflix and everybody else has done. I'm going to make a really bold claim here, and that you're going to hear it here first. It's 11.11, which means to make a wish, it's probably going to come true. But like, uh, honestly, if we're talking about the future of Disney and their streaming service plans, Disney's Disney Plus in two years' time will replace 80% of everybody's other streaming services because, and I'm not necessarily talking about not having Netflix also, but mm-hmm. primary focus will be Disney Plus because if they can roll in their package and have Hulu Plus, Disney Plus, you got to think right now with Hulu Plus, you can also get HBO and right. Showtime, and you can also now get live TV with Hulu, you know, that's a little bit more. So, they're rolling out this mass plan. They could move the market and literally change how we watch TV because they just have a different lock on the whole entire thing. They have more control than anybody else has had. And I think to touch on your point about Netflix, you're right. They have been in preparation. It's crazy to note. Um, we've heard that that uh, you know your Punisher has been canceled, Jessica Jones, Dare, all the those shows. But what's more concerning to me is it was also announced like just yesterday, I think. Netflix is planning a multiverse superhero show. I did, I did, I did see that yesterday for their own for their own service. So I mean, they're doing original content superheroes in some regard. They they just brought the Umbrella Academy, which is not a, a Marvel property, and that's doing very well. So, you know, I I really do think that Netflix is it's it's it's, its own baby. Like it's guarded. You know, it's the first mm-hmm. founder of streaming, so it's not going anywhere. With Amazon, my. I agree that it could be in trouble per se. The thing is, I don't really watch Amazon anyways. Like, I don't go and say, what am I going to watch on my Amazon Prime? If I'm watching on Amazon Prime, it's because I couldn't find it on Netflix or Hulu. Exactly. That's the only reason I use it. And then sometimes you can't find it on fucking Amazon Prime either, and you're like, does this movie even exist? Send bad. Right. As the fucking genie. Whatever. Anyways, so... uh, I think, though, that Jeff Bezos, uh, he might be a dick, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know, I really do think that Amazon Prime is safe mainly because they're a whole different thing. Like if you mm-hmm. if the streaming service gets fucked up a little bit for them, eh, they still I mean they still are shipping Monday through like Monday through Sunday, bro, every day of the week now Amazon Prime trucks up and down my streets delivering to right. people on the reg. Yeah, they're not they're not worried about Disney challenging them because they don't look at Disney as a challenger. It's a whole they different don't look thing. At, yep. And exactly. they're gonna and they're gonna still profit off of Disney when they sell their fucking products. It's a win. You know, it really ultimately is a win win. That's hopefully hopefully going to uh, help the consumer. One thing I don't think is going to help the consumer, and I'm interested to know your thoughts about this part of the Disney Fox deal. With this Disney Fox deal looming, there's been lots of rumors. Will New Mutants debut in theaters? They've said September 2nd is when it's going to happen. It was originally August 2nd. It was originally two years ago, and then last year three different times and it's been bounced around, but it seems that there are not reshoots happening for new mutants and there aren't any scheduled. And that could genuinely be concerning for the future of this movie. We may in fact have another original fantastic four on our hands where they made a movie knowing they were never going to release it. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of split, um, you know, 50-50 down the middle because the New Mutants is a project that when I saw that initial teaser, that initial trailer, um, when I started seeing uh, promotional material for that film, I was actually excited. Um, 
Same, dude. Horror you, horror take on fucking superheroes. Mm-hmm. Let's bring so, it. Well, and especially it's so different than, I mean, Avengers, uh, 2012's Avengers is the best comparison. It's so different than your than your cookie cutter superhero movie that I, I was, you know, um, honestly, this is one of the projects that I was most excited for the last couple years. I think where we're at right now, half of me... You know, on one hand, I want to say this movie doesn't even make it anywhere. I think that's a little bit more... I think that is the most reasonable um, stance to take where we're at right now. The eternal optimist side of me says that this is either going to go straight to Hulu or straight to your Disney Plus streaming service, however however that gets hashed out after the merger. Um you know, kind of, kind of straight to to Blu-ray, DVD kind of thing. I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't know. It's very troubling for me when it, when, when an organization as big as either Disney or 20th Century Fox, or you know, even, even further than that, HBO or or um, Stars, when organizations like that struggle with a project this bad. That that shows to me that it's not just issues at the director level, at the editor level, at the casting level. This is this is a sign of a systemic issue. I mean, throughout the entire organization, there is either a culture issue in the workplace where people are in have an inability to work together, or. Um, motivation from employees to put forth good effort to making good material. Um, You know, if you're my director and we try and shoot the same scene for six weeks and I show up and I have a don't give a fuck attitude. um, And you can't give me and you can't get me to give a fuck. Right. Um, As a director, as a producer, that would be a very pro or very tough uh, issue to tackle because especially when you're further along in the project because reshoot I mean with solo and Justice League and everything that's happened in the last couple of years we are thoroughly educated on how expensive reshooting a movie is let alone rewriting a script you know scheduling other people because if I if I can't um, What's the word? If I can't produce what you're looking for, you don't just have to reschedule me. You have to reschedule everyone else that's involved in the project from the director and the producer all the way down to the assistants bringing you coffee. It becomes very, very pricey very fast. Um, You know, and then you've got movie, you know, AMC, Fandango... Uh, good rich quality theaters you know you could name any number of big uh, regal all that shit regal yep 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 big movie theater chains that are paying you for the rights to to um to let people view these movies in their establishments they have paid you this money up front and they are wanting the return on their investment you know, cause that's the way that I look at it. And I'm not 100% educated on how that works. I know that they have to spend a lot of money to get a movie in their theater. Oh, yeah. It's um, like you have to pay. I, I, okay. Funnily enough, uh, not to, I'm not going to meddle in my family drama, obviously, but like my grandpa has been trying to get the Hoopston Theater in my hometown 
restored fully. They've been doing it year by year. They do fundraisers and all this different kind of things. And we were talking at my nephew's first birthday party this last summer, and I was just asking him and inquiring about like what it is, how the the business works. It's $3,500 just to get the, the quote-unquote real, which is actually mm-hmm. now a hard drive that's like a 37,000 terabyte hard drive or some crazy wow. shit. It's huge because you got to think 4K, right? right. So it's got to be this massive file for it to be 4K and blown up to X size. So, and just think in the next six to eight months, maybe a year, we'll be in 8K. We'll be oh, viewing yeah. movies in 8K. Oh, it's coming. It's coming real soon, brother. Mm-hmm. So, so I okay. So I'm like, oh man, that's thirty five hundred dollars off the top. That's a lot. And he goes, and that's not all. It's depending on what contract you have with who, sixty five percent of concessions goes back to the company. Absolutely. So it it is really the the movie business. They're we're paying all these movie stars millions of dollars because we're spending billions of dollars mm-hmm. in the movie theaters. The money's going somewhere, and it's going back to them, obviously. So uh, I want to bring up this thing about New Mutants and, and your thoughts. And you're talking about how it's systemic. It's troubling that from the whole jump, this whole movie is smelled of not quite right. And you've got like somebody like Maisie Williams, who's an amazing star and Game of Thrones mm-hmm. success and all that in this. A creep factor, which is original to everything they've been doing in the movies. I'm going to give you a different question with, as you said, problems equal money spent. And it's better to put a movie on pause that you have other plans for, ulterior motives or whatever for. Do you think it's possible that because there aren't reshoots scheduled and 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 aren't happening, that maybe they're waiting for the merger so that they can decide if they can utilize reshoots to, I don't know, introduce some of these characters into the universe since they are right there at the precipice of this change? I think that would be interesting you know, Disney's or Marvel's um, Cloak and Dagger has been having some success from what I hear. So that would be a good opportunity to introduce lesser known characters into an even lesser known and never done before universe or not necessarily universe, but uh, perspective on a universe. I, I think that's definitely an interesting perspective and one that I wouldn't have thought about. I, I would almost I would almost bring this up too. Have they actually even finished the movie? I mean, how much of the movie say they say say they advertise that they shot sixty percent of the movie before they started having troubles? Did they even shoot sixty percent of the movie? Did yeah. they even did they even get out of the opening act before these issues started and then the merger started being talked about? Is this going to be a, right after the merger, Disney says, well, what do you got? Well, we've got about 45 minutes of material. Yeah, that's not going to do it, folks. <laughs> Sorry, folks, we can't do a 45-minute movie. It's a yeah. TV series. Here we go, 45-minute well, TV movie. Well, and that's, what I was gonna, that's where I was going to go next. Who's to say that Disney doesn't just transition this into a TV series for for Disney Plus? I mean, th- there's so much up in the air, and there's so much unknown with the New Mutants, and then you have the Dark Phoenix stuff, which I'm sure that we're going to talk in a minute. Yeah, it, it's next. just the the X Men. You know, we've we've thrown around the term in flux a lot over the last two hours. 
just that whole group of characters and stories is so in flux because you've got you've got actors like uh, Hugh Jackman saying I'm done with the character of Wolverine, but if you do something like the Avengers, I want to come back. You might call so me. You've got all this stuff going on at the same time, and there's so much trouble with the New Mutants, and there's so many people that are outwardly saying that they don't want to go see The Dark Phoenix because it's a movie that doesn't matter anyway because this merger's going to happen, and then it's totally irrelevant. It's just, it's very upsetting because you've got the Avengers, you've got the Fantastic Four, you've got all these these superhero team-ups, and the X-Men from the beginning has been about equality and and showing the downtrodden and how the downtrodden can be strong and in how they're united. And the X-Men is something that we as a society needs to see and, and see done very well. And, uh, you know, not, not even from us as fans, big fans of the X-Men. There are so many stories in today's political and Man, cultural climates. I mean, it's like literally writing a fucking guideline to getting through the times we're in right now. Mm-hmm. I mean... I, I as you started talking about it, I was like, I see exactly where he's going. You're absolutely yeah. fucking right. We need the X Men, and and we need the X Men sooner rather than later. And that's the episode you know, title. We need the X Men. In whatever light you're going to give us the X Men, if it's this, you know, never done before perspective that the New Mutants was supposed to be done for, or the closing of a chapter with Dark Phoenix, we need the X Men now more than ever. And I, I I don't know. It's just it's just sad that this franchise has struggled the way that it has. Because if you go back in time, you know, other than Batman and you know Christopher Reeve's Superman and you know the Batman TV series, we would not have the MCU if it wasn't for Hugh Jackman and the cast of that first X Men movie. Correct. Two thousand. It predates your Spider Man movie. It mm-hmm. predates everything that we have now and really it's weird because if fucking they would have listened to kevin feige we might be having a different conversation about how fox is buying all the rights to the marvel shit instead of it being disney absolutely uh because he was there i mean in the early days of the first x-men movie saying we should do a shared universe we should make it bigger than just this one fucking story don't be so fucking blind you dumb fucks and they were like whatever you're just an executive producer you don't mean shit yeah you know? <coughs> So I, um, you know, the the New Mutants thing is interesting. I will say I noticed another roadblock just in sitting here and listening to you talk about it. Uh, another roadblock that the New Mutants have is, you know, I mean, probably not now, now, but as of recently, Game of Thrones was still filming. Macy Williams can't be in two places at once. I'm sorry. Exactly. So maybe that is something to do with this. Is not also. I mean, you got to uncover it and look at it from all the angles. Maybe Macy Williams' schedules part of the reason they can't do the reshoots. Maybe it is because they want to wait and plan. Maybe there's bigger problems. All different angles to look at it. Uh, I like that you had discussed Dark Phoenix too. Did you have any closing thoughts on New Mutants before we jump ship here? I just want this project to be fleshed out, and I want them to put forth the material that was originally advertised. I think you and I and the rest of uh, and the rest of you know the world that are fans of the X Men and fans that are are um, 
horror or whatever genre you want to label what this film is going to kind of fall into um i think there's there are enough groups of people that want this movie to be what it was originally advertised that if it does if it does get released and it's not what it was originally advertised it is going to struggle and struggle very badly and it's going to bring a lot of 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 negative um negative flack to the x-men name and that's obviously not what we want so if they're not going to put forth uh, the material that was originally advertised i don't want them to release release it in any fashion that's kind of where i'm at with it dude i just saw something so uh we're talking about both the new mutants and i think that the New Mutants, if, like you said, if it's not a horror thing like as advertised, it's bad. But it also could be good for Marvel because if you – okay, I'm just going to go down this path real quick. New Mutants comes out. It sucks dick. Dark Phoenix comes out. It's not what we want. It sucks dick. They're going to be like, look, this is why we had to buy this shit back because we're now going to do it right. you know. And it's like, mm-hmm. uh, it's like the white flag that Fox is throwing up on the X-Men franchise that's sad because it really did start it all. But sometimes, like old Yeller, you got to take her out to pasture, man. And maybe mm-hmm. this is the time that we get something fresh. Uh, did you know that the MCU made an appearance in the Dark Phoenix trailer? No. Yeah, so a fan spotted this, and I, I, I totally spaceballed it. Uh, the guards that are hunting the mutants all have patches, and MCU is clearly on the patch. Ah. Is that a funny nod, or is that cool. uh, maybe something more? Who knows? The Dark Phoenix trailer seemed good. It looks like we have the death of a major character. Um, I, don't... I, 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 so I watched the trailer a couple days ago, and that... That large group of our fan base that said that they are not going to see the movie, they're not going to, to, to downvote it on Rotten Tomatoes. They're just not going to go see it because they've already watched the entirety of the movie in the trailer and they don't need to see anything else. I'm telling you. I mean, you and I and Blaine and I and basically our entire network, anytime we've talked about movies in the last year, six months to a year, we've all voiced our concerns with why or why not we don't watch movie trailers anymore either they give away too much or it's just a waste of time or alternately there's the very very rare third thing which we got to call end game out for where it's like so good that you're like oh fuck i like this is five minutes of the first two seconds of the movie and i don't know anything about anything what the fuck or you bring up infinity war where you see hulk on earth and it's like now wait a minute that wasn't in the movie. Yeah, little bam, little bamboozling. Got got a uh, Tyler Durden that shit and put a dick up in one of the frames just to throw people off, you know? Right. Um, I don't. I I just don't know, man. I think Dark I, Phoenix has the the possibility to be good and a good closing story. They actually said that. Uh, they wrote this as an endgame regardless of the merger. They knew this was probably going to be the last X-Men movie, and they wanted to try to properly tell this story. See, here's the thing. You had X-Men First Class, which I think Good. everyone I think which everyone can agree was a solid film. Yeah. You had you had, you had Kevin one, Bacon. You had Kevin motherfucking Bacon. Yeah, Kevin I'm motherfucking not, Bacon. Yeah, I'm not a big um, James McAvoy fan, 
just overall, I think he's solid, but if I was going to cast Young Professor X, I don't know who I would cast, but I didn't really care for for him as Charles Xavier. But I think what really shines from this universe is Michael Fassbender as Young Magneto. You've got Ian McKellen, Sir Ian McKellen, excuse me, as elderly Magneto, as a mature Magneto, and Michael Fassbender as young Magneto, and I don't think that you could replace either one, either direction, and be as successful as they are right now. And then you throw in Kevin Bacon and Sophie Turner, and and you've got some good castings and some okay castings. So the second movie was okay. I mean, I didn't hate it. Days of Futures Past was good. Um, you know, Tried obviously to do he, a good job of course correcting, I think. And then you know, you bring in, um, you know, I forgot to to, to um, point out Jennifer Lawrence as one of the the really good castings as Mystique. I mean, we actually heard her speak more than once, so I thought that was pretty good. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, Rebecca Romaine was obviously really good to look at, but not very much for acting potential there. No substance. No substance. Um, like a like a Twinkie without any of the filling. Oh. Just not there. It's just sponge. It's just spongy it's bread. Just, it's just sponge. Nuclear oh. surviving sponge. Anyway, um, so so we do we do Days of Futures Past, and you you bring Hugh Jackman in on the project, and and it's very it's received well by fans and it, and it does decent in the box office and then you do apocalypse you do your end game before end game your infinity war before infinity war you have one of the baddest beings in the history of the x-men and oscar isaacs didn't do a terrible job i'm not going to put all the fault on him no but man they wrote man, a shitty story for that apocalypse God, that was awful. The only good part of that film was Beast and Quicksilver, Mag- and Quicksilver and Magneto. That's all you got. Like the Quicksilver house scene was cool. I'm not gonna lie, him getting them all out was pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like. I agree with you. I think Oscar Isaac's do- does an okay job of being your apocalypse. However, I also think. That movie was riddled with terrible decision-making, poor choices in how they were trying to get from their point A to their point B. The timeline doesn't make sense. Like, how are you going to make Apocalypse, the baddest motherfucker in the existence of all X-Men, a storyline that happened in the 80s before your story that happens in the 2000s? What? Exactly. And those X-Men didn't know any fucking thing about a guy named Apocalypse trying to fucking buttfuck the whole world? And... You, if you remember back to kind of that 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 film's um, promotional cycle, they focused so much on Olivia Munn being involved in that. Her as Psylocke, number one, was awful. Number two, totally unnecessary. Limited th- in scope, too. What was the at, point of her? Th- that was that was the third point that I was going to make. She was barely in the film for what she was. So you know. You fall on your face with with Apocalypse. Then you have Logan, okay? One of the best X-Men to date movie. I mean, obviously, it's a standalone story. It's its its own thing. Um, but just one of the best movies that came out that year. One of the best stories that's been told. 
um, in this whole superhero generation. You, you've got really, really big shoes to fill with very aggravated fans. So, I mean, Dark Phoenix is set up to fail before it even started filming. Because people are salivating for the MCU version of these characters, no matter Absolutely. what they produce, no matter what they do, it will not, it cannot meet expectation. I mean, you're backed into a corner with no chance. I think that I'm going to give Dark Phoenix a shot. I want to see the movie. I'm not cutting short uh, the Dark Phoenix storyline. I mean, I have that entire fucking run of uh, mm-hmm. Uncanny X-Men from Uncanny 101 to like 137 or 138 when Gene dies. And that's like one of the most, if you've never read X-Men and you're fucking stupid, and I'm not trying to be an asshole to anybody that's listening, but like if you've never sat down and given the X-Men a shot, I genuinely believe you pick up X-Men 94, which you're going to have a hard time doing. You'll probably want to just download that shit. X-Men 94 is real expensive. It's like a $500 book because it reintroduced all these characters into the universe. It was Marvel's, at the time, big reboot. Um, but then, you know, from 94 to 100, they re- kind of rebuild the team. You get your your um, Colossus in there, Storm, Cyclops, Wolverine is a part of the whole thing now. Um, but then 101, birth of Jean Grey becoming Phoenix. So by 135, when she becomes the Dark Phoenix and, and, and that takes over, Ultimately, the sacrifice has to be made, and it's it's just a gut wrenching storyline. Um, but I think I'm done talking about the Dark Phoenix stuff. It's just, I don't know. I'm un unsold. There's one thing I'm really sold about, dude. I don't know how excited you were to see this trailer, but they did a Hellboy Red Band trailer. Yes. And like I caught wood, dude. I was like, whoa, this is what I'm talking about. I'm a big fan of Hellboy. I loved the original Ron Perlman movies, Hellboy and Hellboy 2 Golden Circle or Golden Army. Uh this though with David Harbour looks bad as fuck, dude. So I'm I'm as equally excited as you are. The couple nitpicks that I have and things that I'm not super excited about. I was so attached to Ron Perlman as Hellboy. He did such a fantastic job. Hearing David Harbour speak, I mean, because this is the first trailer that we've heard him speak a lot as Hellboy. Um, It's a little bit off-putting. It's a little bit off-putting to me. I'm obviously still going to give it a chance. I'm super excited to to see David Harbour... get some more big screen time, especially as successful as he's been with Stranger Things. And seeing seeing the amount of work that that guy put in to get ready for this film, to be able to be able to be worthy to put on that makeup. And, you know, I've seen a couple interviews where people are like, yeah, I mean, I mean, how do you feel trying to steal away Ron Perlman's thing? And he's like, I'm, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. I'm, I'm not to trying nothing. I'm not trying to steal Ron Perlman's thing. They offered me this project, a project that I'm excited about. From the moment they said, "Hey, would you like to put on all this red makeup and prosthetic hand?" Fuck yeah, I'm excited. I mean, David Harbour is enthusiastic about the job that he's been given to do. So, even though he's not my man Ron Perlman, I'm super excited for that. The other thing, I'm not a big Mila Jovich fan. I knew you were going to uh, say that. I'm mm, big Fifth Element fan. 
you know, I identify as a meat popsicle. So uh, that is a cult classic movie for me as a fan of the sci-fi genre. She was fantastic in that film. There's not been a lot of movies that I've watched of Mila Jovich that have been super, super great. So I'm going to obviously give it a chance for David Harbour's sake. I'm not going to be ultra critical of Mila Jovich. Um, you know, she's a model turned actress, so I can't I can't expect Oscar material from her all the time. She's a mattress, but, folks. You heard it here first. Yep, she's a mattress. Yep. But that um I mean this this film looks fucking incredible. Just oh. the action, the action scenes, the 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 CGI and the artwork, and just the overall tone is what Hellboy is supposed to be. Yeah, the the comedic tone with the gore, like there was that fucking scene where that sword impales that dude through his head. Yeah, like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, but then um, you know, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Hellboy says something like. I I think I'm gonna need much more relatable stakes. Like, like mm-hmm. I can't relate to this shit. You're a fifth century blood queen. What the fuck? Uh, I love that there's a little bit. It looks like we're gonna get the origin, so we're gonna see the birth of Hellboy. That's mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense. Obviously, there is a character that's missing, and I, nobody said anything. And I'm gonna be the one to call it. Where the fuck is Abe Sapien? I don't know if we've rebooted that character or he's just not included at all or or they are keeping him hidden as a as a throw it down later guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I'm hoping because I feel like, you know, uh what was it? Ray Jones, the guy that mm-hmm. pl- Ray Park, Ray Parks. Ray Park. He, he played uh he did uh uh Darth Maul in the Phantom Menace and mm-hmm. Silver Surfer also, but uh he uh man just Wait, wait, was that, hold on, was it Doug, jo- Doug Jones did Abe Sapien, my fault. Doug Jones yeah, did Silver Doug Surfer Jones did and Abe yeah. Sapien, that's my mm-hmm. fault. Uh, so, Doug Jones did a fantastic job as Abe Sapien, I think that's one of those hard to recast roles. Guillermo del Toro doing an amazing job directing those movies and what have you, but uh, one of the things I love from the trailer though, we're not compatible, I'm a Capricorn and you're fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? the the way the way that they mic dropped the end of that trailer was fantastic. Yeah, totally. Um, so much good imagery. I mean, just this is going to be a gory, feel good movie that leaves a lot of people leaving the theater confused, but wanting to see more. And I think if if Abe is a character that you're not going to include in this origin story that I'm going to call it. Um, you you gotta follow Disney and Marvel's lead and hit old Abe Sapien into an after credit scene, and Guillermo del Toro originally wanted to do a trilogy. He originally wanted to do a total universe with Ron Perlman and the rest of the cast in Hellboy. He had a story that he wanted to tell, which the majority of the second Hellboy movie was setting up that last movie that he never got to make. Um. <sighs> You've got him hyping up this movie. I've seen him um, occasionally, a few tweets. I don't remember how long ago it was. It may have been a while. But this movie has his... Excuse me. This movie has Del Toro's support, which from somebody that was scrapped from a project and then the project is rebooted and given to somebody else, um, that just goes to show how much he loved 
working with this this group of people in this universe. So, I, I mean, I, I can only say I'm pumped for this movie so many times and it mean anything. Um, but you you got to bring Abe in at some point, and I think if this movie does well, you've got to make a trilogy. Or a, a, at least a sequel. You've got to do more. Because Hellboy, much like The Watchmen... Is, is a successful comic book that, that people forget about a lot of times, and it deserves not to be forgotten about. Correct. It needs to be celebrated in these moments and not um, glossed over, as it were. Uh, I'm looking forward to Hellboy April 12th. It's right around the corner. Yet again, mm-hmm. here we are. We're you know just, just shy of two months away here. Um, so I don't really have... I mean, I have one other thought, but I want to use that as, like a, as a closing... Uh, concept. So before we get out, did you have anything else on Hellboy before we jump? If you are a fan of going to the movies for the love of God and all that is holy or unholy, fucking go see this movie because I want to see David Harbour kick ass as fucking Hellboy. Hey, this Red Band trailer, just so you know, uh, 8 million views in three days. Mm -hmm. That's on Facebook alone. I don't know what uh, what the YouTube stats are, but I digress. All right, folks. Well, before we get out of here, I'm going to throw you guys the plugs. As always, you can check out the Journey Into Comics podcast at journeyintocomics.com, where you'll get the Journey Into Comics network featuring all of our different shows on the network. Don't forget to also go to podcastfreepod.podbean.com and subscribe to Tyler's show, Podcast Free, that also has its own feed. Or get them on iTunes, Spotify now as well, I do believe. Yes. Um, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, all the places you get podcasts, you'll get Podcastrophy. Just search for Podcastrophy. You can also get the Journey into Comics Network by searching on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, and CastBox by searching for the Journey into Comics Network. Also, patreon.com backslash Journey into Comics. Throw us a buck for early access and exclusive content. Now that we have the plugs out of the way, Tyler, I want to break your brain with a thought. Hit me, What if I told you? That a mechanic, and I don't mean a mechanic person, but a mechanic as in a story mechanic, has been introduced into the MCU that can cleverly be a way to cameo certain people who have already existed in the X-Men franchise. Do it. Scrolls. Mm. What if some of these faces start popping up as scroll versions? And that was a, those were scroll stories. Those weren't really the X Men. They were captured. Mm. You know, we won't see it in Captain Marvel per se. We might not even see it in Endgame. But you have to assume Captain Marvel's going to introduce the scrolls. There's a big, interesting mechanic they're not talking about for Endgame. A lot of people say there's a bigger threat than Thanos in Endgame. Maybe it's the scroll. Maybe this is something they're really building the scroll invasion up. And this is the next ten years of movies we're looking at. See, you and I have talked a lot about where to go next. You know, we've talked about including Galactus. We've talked about doing the Kree Scroll War and the and the the in, the invasion and House we've talked of M. About, mm-hmm, we've talked about doing uh, secret wars and 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 there, there's so many possibilities. I think, I think, as, as fans, if you're going to introduce the Scroll in this film. And then you're gonna just not include them anymore after this, and not tell any of those stories. I think you're doing the universe and the stories that you're trying to tell a disservice. Totally. Um, kind of lost my train of thought for a second. My Happens. brain shut off. 
Um, I think, I think, if if you're gonna do that with X Men characters, I think you need to very be very selective about who you choose. Yes, that was the because, next thing I was gonna say. Because if you just blanket it and say, "Well, all these people have been scrolls the entire time." You know, that's just a cop-out. That's poor storytelling, and I don't know that anyone will vibe with that. Maybe the better way is the people that need to be recast were scrolls mm-hmm. and keep the certain, like, you want Sophie Turner to be your fucking Jean Grey? Great. Keep it. She was there, but she was fucked up. She didn't know no better. Right. She was having a um, fever dream about Dark Phoenix. That shit wasn't real yet. I also think that if you are going to tell the end game story that you need for it to be end game. Right after Captain Marvel, you have to have some scroll influence popping up somewhere. Otherwise, you are going to have a story thread that is dangling kind of in the ether that when we go to pick up that story thread, you know, six months, a year, two years, six years down the road, whenever they decide to do it, if they do, I think it will be so... People will have to grasp at it so hard. Oh, do you remember those scroll s- things? Like, oh yeah, exactly. I remember that one yep. time. Yep. So I think those are the only um, those are the only reasons that I would be kind of standoffish about including or not including the scroll further on. But I really like that idea. Cool. Well, I'm glad. Uh, that I think is a good place to end this amazing podcast tyler thank you so much for joining me this week thanks for having me on i love being here hey do you want to know a spoiler alert what's that you're gonna be here next week and you're gonna actually do the captain marvel review here i'm so very excited (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm going to i'm gonna make the big journey up north into nate land and nate and i are going to view some juicy juicy captain marvel POV style. Yeah, you're coming up to Awesome World to party mm-hmm. with the pod daddy. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a fun time, man. I can't wait to have you guys up. It'll be a, a fun experience. Not and very not very many people from the Lafayette area have been up to the to the pod daddy's kingdom. So I'm I'm making my pilgrimage. I'm excited. I'm, uh, good timing too, because it's going to be a fantastic time. I can't wait to watch that movie with you. I can't wait to talk about it afterwards in a podcast that. Maybe we'll go almost three hours like we did today. Probably. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, two hours and 20 minutes. That's awesome. I'm fucking stoked on that. But uh, I think that's going to do it for Journey into Comics. I've been Nate. I've been Tyler. And we will see you guys next time. Do me a favor. Pop your caps back and fill your brains with shit. Later, guys. Yeet. Hey, guys. Deadpool here. Just wanted to tell you about a little event that's happening on March 23rd. Fun for Funs, it's a Journey into Comics Network event featuring live podcasts from Brews with Dudes, Podcastrophy, Dungeons with Dudes, and Journey into Comics, as well as performances by band number one, Boner Jovi, ooh, that sounds fun, Walk Among Us, Yesterday's Chips, also featuring live stand-up by comedian Patrick Murray, he's so much fun, presented by Journey into Comics Network and the Doom Room. North and Pub, Lafayette, Indiana, Doors for Three, Podcasts at Four with Bands at 730, $10, it's 21 and up, don't try to sneak in, you silly kids. <laughs>